everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 438. I'm your host, Chris Zoner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bix and Span. And Bix, it's the end of the year. As uh, this show drops on New Year's Day 2024, 23, 23 has passed us. And I know I've said it before on social media, and I've said it on this show. I'm absolutely dreading, if we're still doing this in 10 years, <laughs> covering 2023 in pro wrestling. Oh, God. <laughs> and it, we're going out with a bang, too, as we record this. Yeah. I mean, I'm also do, doing all the math in my head if in 10 years our guest will be able to talk about this year and we could have him on then. <laughs> oh, my God. But, uh, yes, it's been a, it's been a wild and crazy year in pro wrestling inside the ring, outside the ring. And we had a great year on this podcast as well. And of course, you know, we had our Christmas show last week. So that was always, always a fun ride with, uh, Bo James, Robert O'Connor. And we got a new Patreon show to talk about as well as, um, yes, our last Patreon show for 2023 as, uh, we looked at the, um, the last days of the Von Erics, basically, in, in a sense, as we discuss um, some magazine articles and other things um, involving Carrie and Kevin and Fritz as well and Doris. We discuss uh, the D Magazine article that came out after Mike's death. We have uh, Irv Muchnick's penthouse article we talked about. We got Carrie going one on one with John Clark. When John Clark was a teenager yes, in early in early days flyer. of the flyer. Yes, and you can tell and, in that interview, too, that Carrie is initially going along with what he thinks would be in a teenager's wrestling newsletter before John yeah. starts asking about rehab and stuff. Yeah, and uh, we haven't finished recording this show as we're doing this plug here. But, uh, yeah, there's all kind of other stuff, too. We have reactions to Carrie's death and also wrestling flyer and everything. And just, uh, you know, it's not the most uplifting of shows. But, it, you know, it's a show that had to be done as the Von Erics have dominated uh, the wrestling scene in, uh, in the month of December 2023. Yes. You know, with the Iron Claw, the Iron Claw movie being out and uh, – commercials playing everywhere and people talking about that and of course uh kevin and his sons ross and marshall appearing on AEW programming yes um and ring of honor programming so yes i was about to make sure you included ring of honor but we'll get to that more in a minute of course it's all this this is all the family yes and uh also next month i'm still doing the notes for it well i guess this month and our january show is going to be the WCW Finger Poke of Doom and uh, the Fallout from there for the 25. 24- oh yes, 25 years ago. <laughs> oh. So, uh, so yeah, that's going to be quite the show for January. But to listen to all that, Patreon.com/slash/TwinnieSeeds five dollars a month gets you access to that, plus all the other shows that we've done in our seven plus years of the Patreon now, as we're in year eight. So there is a ton of audio for that five dollars that uh, you put down for it, and uh, we'll have a lot more to come. Twenty twenty four is going to be a, a, an excellent year for the Patreon as well. So definitely want to get in on the ground floor and um, get in there. And uh, yeah. of course, it's uh, 
And it's 50-70 yearly? 50-40 is the 16% off. 50-40, yes. Yeah, so it's 30 cents. But anyway, yes. So uh, you can get it the whole year. The whole year at $50.40 and save some money. So patreon.com slash between the sheets. Now, this is our year-end show. And... We are joined by a dear friend of ours, and first time he's been on in a long time, and he's also a patron of patreon.com slash between the sheets. And he just he, uh, fought Eric Matches. Yes, he sure did. But he also, me and him talked about him coming back on the show, basically requested this week that we're doing right here in this show. So, yes, we are joined by one of the greatest voices that wrestling has to offer the voice of ring of honor and a dear friend. We are joined by Philadelphia's favorite son, Pennsylvania's favorite son. There's been the whole state. Ian Riccoboni. Ian, welcome back. Hey, Chris. Hey, Bix. Thanks so much for having me. You know, I'm, I'm really excited about the upcoming Patreon show. It's going to be the first one in a while that doesn't feature Eddie Gilbert. Uh, <laughs> with, with due respect to... <laughs> with Joe, res- Lanza. Joe Lanza's uh, picked up the slack on that. For us, <laughs> <of wrestling. laughs> uh, it, it's a lot of fun. I got my best FUBU outfit in preparation for, for Big Sexy. Uh, I, I think... Kevin, that you know, I'm off. I'm I'm kind of off Twitter. I'm kind of off X for now. Um, you know, I'm I'm hanging out on Threads. You know, I like that on Blue Sky. But the one thing that sticks in my mind from from X or Twitter or whatever you want to call it is Kevin Nash landing maybe the the best diss of all time, which was him saying Hulk Hogan. I know you don't listen to Mac Ten, and <laughs> to me, that was like the ultimate ultimate diss. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. The Von Erics, I'll tell you what, um, 2023 was a, was a, a challenging year. It was a f- fulfilling year, but a challenging year in, in a lot of ways. We lost Jay Briscoe. Um, oh, but, no. but through it, we saw Mark, um, really uplift not only his own family, but a, a company. Um, he's been a, a pillar in, in professional wrestling now. He's, he's coming off just this, these monumental wins on television. Um, he just, you know, pinned Brian Danielson. He pinned Jay Lethal. And and he's he's really a source of hope of inspiration. Uh, Kevin Von Erich, you could say the same thing about, about him and, and Ross and Marshall. Um, we've seen them on Rampage. We've seen them on Ring of Honor. We're going to see them again on Ring of Honor. It's great to see just examples of folks that have, have faced adversity and and find ways to lift everyone else around them up through their challenging time. And those are just amazing people. And I have known Mark for, for years and years, but getting to meet Kevin and and Ross and Marshall uh, was just an incredible experience in Texas hearing stranglehold, which I never thought I would, that blew my mind. I, I had some, some reactions of, Wow, is this really stranglehold? Because we, you know, there's a couple, there's a couple sound alikes that ROH or AEW will use here or there, and even WWE from time to time will have a sound alike. And uh, no, that was the real deal. So it it was great to to meet the Von Erics, to see them, and I can't wait to see Iron Claw. I I'm not seeing it this week. I'm in the Ocala National Forest. I think I'm the first ever between the sheets guest to ever broadcast from an unincorporated part of the United States. Outstanding. Yeah. (laughs) There are dirt dirt roads. 
Um, John Travolta lives here, but he's he, he has a dirt road to his house. And you go from his house, which is like this beautiful million dollar mansion to where my parents live, which, you know, it's it's a dirt road, some gators and, and some houses that are on some stilts. So it's quite the interesting area. It's it's in gator country. Big Tim Tebow fans down here. Percy Harvin oh. fans. Oh, yes. <laughs> As Chris, Steve Spurrier fans. Oh, yeah, and if you if you go around, I still remember the my grandma lived down here. I remember the Warfle House signs that were Danny Warfle. Yes, yes. Yep. <laughs> Not so, good memories for me. Yeah. <laughs> the Georgia Bulldogs fan. I tell you that. Yeah. We did uh, beat Tim Tebow once. <laughs> yeah. wait, 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 wait. Now, are you telling me then the Chandler Biggins and Colby Carino's cars are incorporated parts of the United States? <laughs> well, I, I guess it depends where they were at the time but this is permanently I'm, this is the first permanent broadcast from an yeah. unincorporated part of the united states yes and uh you know you mentioned Miss mark briscoe who maybe had the line of the year with uh what was it referee paul turner have you lost your fucking mind <laughs> <laughs> with the fact that he said referee paul turner which was really <laughs> what made it it wasn't just paul turner it was referee paul turner <laughs> <laughs> well, he had to address him by his proper name. Correct, and, and I mean this with complete sincerity. If you know, if you've spent substantial time around Mark Briscoe, he is the most politest. He's the most polite man you'll ever meet in your life, and he does use proper, <laughs> proper prefixes and suffixes at a hundred percent accuracy. So, yes. Now, not I mean, the it, only it, line that pops up. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say Mark Briscoe. If there was an inspirational Wrestle of the Year award, I mean, that he has that in the bag. Absolutely. For what he's done this year and, you know, just an amazing strength of character in that man, you know, Absolutely. from the funeral all the way down and just, just so, it's just amazing to, to watch him, you know, have his moments that he's had on television, you know, this year and on pay-per-view as well. So, uh, this I mean, he's gonna keep it going. Twenty twenty four, I think it's gonna be a hell of a year for Mark Briscoe. Absolutely. So yeah. uh, I mean, how? So yeah. All right, how often do you see on the internet people like saying things like "I'm not religious" or "I'm not Christian," but Mark Briscoe is making a lot of sense to me about about believing in Jesus and all that stuff that people were saying, you know, after the eulogy. Well, he he also has this, you know, Ian. I mean, Mark, who who can have anything bad to say about Mark Briscoe? Yeah. You know, and as far he, as you know, you talk about how social media is and stuff like that. He's like universally loved. Yeah, yeah, he's he's the man, and it's it's not an act, it's not a facade. Um, and I've known him going on ten years now, and he's just the man. There's no other way to describe it. Like he, he's, you know, awesome dad. He's awesome family. I mean, just like Jay, but he's it. It's. Through through all these clouds, there's this sunlight that's emerging, and now the world's you know the world's seeing seeing the Mark Briscoe a lot of us a lot of us knew, and it's it's I'm amazing. I, yeah, I think 2024 is going to be huge for Mark. Yep. All right, Bix, what were you going to play? I was going to say, I mean, yeah, I blew the spot, but still, uh, Mark did not have Shock. the only line during that. But thanks. <laughs> well. It's not like it would get edited out if it was – never mind. Um, so not the only thing during that match that popped us, though. If you want to give me credit – oh, good. Now what is that? The protein shit's out of coffee? 
anything goes. Coffee? <laughs> Coffee. Yes. Speaking of the great Kevin Nash. Yes. A coffee reference. You know, we've had between the sheets references on uh, many um, IWTV, Fight TV broadcasts, but we finally made it to mainstream pay per view. (laughs) (laughs) And Ian's the one that did it. So uh, we are indebted to you. (laughs) Coffee. I've snuck in what's the stipulation before, but I don't know. I don't know who has jurisdiction over that one. So I'll just leave that one away. Best to avoid that topic, probably. Yeah. Yep. But there you go. So, uh, so yes. yes. I'm, All right. So let's. Well, I'm guessing you won't be getting in any. Allocates. Well, actually, no. Wait, I thought I was going to type the other one. That's right. I lost the. I can't find the ass drop. So either way, allocates you could probably do. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of it, down in this Fort McCoy area, the one time I went up to visit my brother who's lived in Orlando for a long time, and I went to this place called the Steel Mill, and I can say with a straight face that I've worked out with Lex Luger. In 2006, Lex gave me a spot on a military press, and he was he was shockingly nice. He asked how long I was exercising. I think he thought <laughs> I think he thought it was maybe my first time at the gym. <laughs> So <laughs> he was he was very he was very much in the I'm going to try and motivate this kid because it doesn't look like he know what he's he knows what he's doing. But I was 19 and I already had a season of uh, college baseball under my belt. So I got maybe I got some allocates from him after that. Oh, man. All right. Well, let's get to the show. And we have this being a year in show. We have one of those uh, things that goes from one year to the next. As it's December 27th, 1991 through January 2nd, 1992. And we start with World Championship Wrestling. In the tradition of the famed Bunkhouse Stampede, now there's Battle Bowl. If there's one thing that can sum up Star K91, it's that WCW produced a preview show that wasn't even as good as most of the recent free Saturday Night Television shows. It was one of those shows where you sat there and waited for what would happen next figuring they were saving something special, but that something special never came. Before going on, what needs to be mentioned before anything else is the camera work, or maybe the work of the director calling the shots, as they managed to miss far too many spectacular spots. Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone were frequently making references to moves and incidents, not just in the Battle Royale, but in many of the tag matches that never the viewer couldn't see because the cameras were pointed somewhere else. W7, everybody. It's considered a cardinal sin for an announcer to talk about something the viewer can't see because it makes the poor can work obvious, but geez, if they didn't, we'd never know that there actually was some good stuff taking place in the building. Well, you're perfect for this, Ian. So, I mean, <laughs> how frustrating is it? <laughs> and I don't know I mean, how many times this has happened to you, but you're calling the match, but the <laughs> director is somewhere else showing something completely different than what you're calling. I mean, how how frustrating is that? Yeah, it's I've lucked out because I've worked with some awesome, awesome people. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. So right now I have Mike Mansuri in my ear and Tony Schiavone said it recently on, on his podcast. Mike might be the best pound for pound producer he's ever worked for with, um, you know, Mike does some of the direction also. And, and there's from time to time there's that we have, you know, it, there are, there is a straight up director. A lot of times we have a, a guy named Daryl for ring of honors. Also awesome. 
I've I've lucked out. But the key, I think, to me is and I learned this very early on because Delirious was was the first person that I, I really worked with and a guy named Mark Brown. And they said, hey, if you see something, say it, say it as it's happening. Say, hey, can we get a camera over there? I think on the floor and just start to kind of floor direct and to weave it into the I don't know if we can get a shot of this. We have great camera folks here and just and and make it a part of what's happening. And so I, it can be it can be difficult because I've worked with the World Arm Wrestling League in the past. I've done some announcing for them and I've worked with some other organizations where they'll bring in folks that aren't used to this the necessarily the sport they're calling. And I know some of the folks that have worked with Ring of Honor. Uh, they came from the NFL. They did a lot of Washington Commander games, or they did Baltimore Oriole games. So, the first couple ROH shows they had done, you know, in the Sinclair era or whatnot, maybe they were more used to baseball or football. But I think the the thing I learned that was very helpful from the start was to never blow anybody's spot. Just to say, uh, I don't know if we can get a camera shot on this, but and a lot of times it'll happen in in sort of wild brawls that are happening throughout the arena. And back at Final Battle, we had some awesome shots. The cameras were following everyone. But if I remember right, Starcade 91 was maybe only a three camera. And that can be difficult when there's two rings. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, I mean, if you, if you only got, if you got a hard cam, you got a, you got a hand cam and a floor cam. And you're expected to shoot a tag match that could go. And there was a couple matches that, however briefly, use both rings. It can get, it can get pretty tough to shoot uh, pretty quickly. Now, is the yeah, implication? I, I, I mean, is the implication though that they were getting fed different stuff on the monitor than was going over the broadcast? Uh, no, I doubt that. I doubt that. I you a think lot they were times, just moving their eyes back and forth to the ring? Yes, and I think there's when I came up the Ring of Honor, we actually didn't have monitors. I don't know if anybody <laughs> Sinclair Sinclair had been so cost cost conscious uh, that, uh, you know, we didn't shoot in HD until I think 14. And then uh, we didn't have monitors until I think 17. Uh, so we used to call what we just, what we saw and then they would edit around it. But I think there was, a, you know, it, uh, this used to happen a lot with Scott Steiner's Frankenstein Frankensteiner, where you would see the second half of it. Um, for whatever reason, they would they would wouldn't take the shot on the Frankensteiner until they until like midway through it, and so I think they were just kind of peeking up and just making sure that that they were trying to call everything that was happening. Well, okay. Well, there's a question then. Um, do you think it's easier to call with the monitors or call what you see? I think it's better to call from the monitors. I think it's easier to call what you see, and there I see. Go. Yeah, and I, I think it's. What I see happen is there'll be folks that I work with from time to time who, uh, especially when I was coming through and I'd, we'd get paired with wrestlers. So whether it was Colt and I or Caprice and I, we'd get, we'd get paired with wrestlers and I'd have to kind of nudge them. Hey, call what's on the monitor. Cause I'd see them looking up toward the ring. And sometimes that was just out of nervousness, you know, cause there would be something that was going to happen or, or something like that. And other times it was, they just, you know, their instinct was to watch what was happening. Um, but for things like the New Japan Strong broadcast, that stream, uh, when it was streaming, was usually a quarter second behind. So you might react to something that hasn't quite happened yet on the broadcast. So mm. it was very important, particularly with New Japan Strong, to call call the monitor. 
Because it was, I mean, it was a millisecond, but if you weren't careful, it it could be noticeable. Yeah, that that wouldn't be good <laughs> to, yeah. to have that happen. But uh, I mean, the last thing yeah, I'll so add is like you can ahead. you can really see the divide though in the monitor versus the looking up in on UFC broadcasts. I feel like, especially with Rogan, Rogan will always be a fan and default staring at the cage. But that's why you'll have so many like weird announcer flubs on UFC broadcasts that they will start looking at the cage and they won't see what the viewer's watching. And that's why sometimes it can be very incongruous with what the viewer's seeing. Oh, absolutely. And I think with, you know, with UFC in particular, um, if you know what to look for in holds and positioning, there is value in, in looking up. But you always got to keep in the back of your mind. And I, I happen to like Joe Rogan a lot as a broadcaster, as as, as calling the UFC events. Um, so I do think there's value in peeking up every now and again, especially with UFC, to see if there's any footwork, if there's any uh, positioning with hands, um, in double wrist locks, things like that. Uh, slight movement of hips can be easier to, to figure out and to see in real time if you're kind of looking up. And it's... Those microscopic delays, though, um, you always got to remember, hey, get get your eyes back to the monitor. <laughs> get your eyes back to the monitor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, well, let's go over the show here. Battle Bowl, the Lethal Lottery. We started out with, uh, we had the lottery drawing, of course, as the show went on the air. And we started out with our first match. Jimmy Garvin and Marcus Alexander Bagwell's a team facing Michael P.S. Hayes and Tracy Smothers as a team. So we got free birds on opposite sides here. In 1242, and Bagwell pinned Smothers with the Fisherman Suplex. Dave said his cable went out during the match, so he missed most of it. Actually, the blind television screen was looking like it was going to be the best match on the card after the first Aww. four matches were over with. <laughs> Bagwell, seemed to ha- Bagwell seems to have a good deal of potential. Yeah, well, I, I love the presentation. Yeah, and I love the presentation of all of this. Um, what Dave doesn't mention, when this started... They ran down all 40 names and the Norfolk scope, the very distinct building. And it was really neat. And then every, all the wrestlers that were eligible for battle bowl were on stage and you get to see Eric and Missy and Magnum. And it really kind of this intro, the intro and the way the wrestlers were presented kind of gave it a big, a big feel because they kind of explained it. And I was only getting, one of the syndicated shows at like seven in the morning or six in the morning on Saturdays. Uh, we didn't have TBS, but I was getting to see one of the syndicated shows. So they kind of explained it, but they didn't really. And so it was just really exciting because you never saw as many guys as you did. And it also, there were some guy, there were some wrestlers that were kind of exclusive to Saturday night and kind of exclusive to pro and kind they, they never said that, but you never, you know, it was rare to see Arachnaman on Saturday night, but you saw him on pro and it was rare to see the, uh, the Patriots on Saturday night, but you, you saw them on pro. So there were, it was really neat from that perspective because subconsciously it was like, wow, this is the whole group. This is the whole team. Yeah. And, and, and you, you like Rob Naylor grew, you know, grew up in that section of Pennsylvania where there's no TBS. Right. That's crazy to me. It's insane. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, where where else where else can you find Jushin Liger and the U.S. Mail Curtis Thompson all with PN News and Arachnaman in the same shot? And Brian Pillman, yeah, and no. and I know. Incredible. 
I mean, th- this was Dusty's, you know, new concept of, you know, of a a, a, a gimmick match on pay per view, and it looks like you said it looks cool because you you have like your, your bay faces on one side of the stage and your heels on the other side of the stage, and it's it, you know, and it's not hokey like when WF did it for uh, Land of a Thousand Dances, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, it's actually, you know, competition here. Did we yeah. just see the and, debut and there, of the Tracy Smothers dance? He, <laughs> they just he started heel, doing right? it. He, he started doing it when the heel turned, and it was a Jimmy Garvin. Oh, yeah. That's the <laughs> dance I came to see. So, <laughs> so confession, I, I've worn sequins now at Final Battle three years in a row, and everybody says, oh, Bobby Heenan tribute. But no, it's, it's a Jimmy, it's a gorgeous Jimmy Garvin tribute. There you go. There you go. Does that All make right, Caprice uh, your Lance Russell? <laughs> <laughs> well, I Bill, mean, <laughs> Bill Mercer. <laughs> but this, I mean, the the scope was so well lit. It was such a well produced show, especially coming out of Halloween Havoc, which also was well produced. And they started WCW started to get the lighting, the presentation right. They started to get some of the the elements that they previously didn't quite have. Like if you watch Starcade 90 and you see Ugh. how St. Louis is kind of dark and you know, it's, it's not just the fact that it's the black scorpion. It's that the building feels like it's not lit. It feels like there's the light. Some of the lights are off. This is bright. It's vibrant. It's Halloween Havoc 90 may have been worse. Right. With the red ring. And yeah, it, yeah. but this is such a production upgrade. The crowd looks full. The crowd looks into it. And to me, I was Super looking forward to this. I made my parents rush home from my brother's basketball game. I remember where I was, how I watched it. Uh, we may or may not have gotten one of those boxes from the flea market that did things that hopefully the statute of limitations have run out on. <laughs> and, I think so. Yeah. And this was this was just a great event because leading up to it, they didn't quite tell you how it was going to work. No, in WCW fashion. Of course yeah. I did. <laughs> I'd like to how we have you the... AEW blood and guts isometric two ring camera angle too on the hard cam. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and as Michael Hayes trying to lead the uh, fans into the tomahawk chop in Norfolk, <laughs> but you know, you know, uh, the Braves. Well, the, hell, the Braves had the, their AAA team was in Richmond. That's true. So, you know, at that time, so not too far away. But hour and a half, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Also, even with Battle Bull, by the way, we're getting a uh, Southern Boys Freebirds opener. (laughs) (laughs) Far from the course. (laughs) Yes. All right. That's what we need. You know, we you know, obviously we need young fans to keep the sport going. But, man, there's something about seeing grandmas in the front row. And I and I mean that with all sincerity. It's the grandmas who are into the wrestling like you can't beat it. That's one thing that's just missing in a lot of the, you know, major wrestling these days. And, and of course, Indy, too, but that's sort of a story. Is like the senior citizens. Mm-hmm. You just don't see them. You, you see, you know, more, you know, folks in, you know, the 30s and 40s and parents with kids and stuff like that. But you don't see, like, the grandmas and grandpas and stuff like that. I mean, they're the most spirited fans. Absolutely. All the time. All right, next match was Rick Rude and Stunning Steve Austin, Dangerous Alliance members, 
beating Van Hammer and Big Josh, two baby faces. So a match that makes sense in 1255. When Rude pinned Hammer with a Rude Awakening, that finish certainly tells you that the mega push for Van Hammer's over. There was no. So, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Ian. Yeah, with with Van Hammer, my dad, my dad was amazing. He'd watch wrestling twice and could tell you, well, this guy used to be this guy, and he was just a savant. He didn't he didn't like wrestling, at, but the one that he hung his hat on. Now he figured out the first time Goldust was on the screen, he he figured out it was Dustin Rhodes. The first, he figured out that Halloween Phantom was Rick Rude. Like he was he was on point. But till his dying day, he will swear that Van Hammer was the ultimate warrior. <laughs> well, same type of working uh, uh you know, work rate. Well, more blonder here for Hammer Hammer, but yeah. Yeah, Hammer, I think, a little bit lighter than Warrior was. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, hey, everybody can get confused. Now, Big Josh and Matt Bourne, I mean, that, <laughs> yeah. a blind man could probably figure that one out. But, you know. Also, we should, we should specify, too, Pennsylvania indie wrestling legend Van Hammer. Yes. You know, oh, my goodness. Credited <laughs> as one of the trainers of the Briscoes, Van Hammer. That's right. Oh, my goodness. Yes. There was no heat at all when Hammer was in, which is surprising considering Hammer's alleged charisma. And Dave says, I use the word alleged because I wouldn't want to be sued for libel. Rude didn't sell some of Josh's blows to the stomach because he's got the ripped abs. They then worked on Josh for several minutes to get heat, but that didn't work either. Paul E. held Josh and Austin went to jump on, but Josh moved and Austin jumped on Paul. Josh made the hot tag to Hammer, who's clearing house for a few seconds until Austin made a blind tag to Rude and finished him off three quarters of a star. So there you go. Dustin Rhodes and Richard Morton, guys that had been feuding early in the year, defeated Elegante and Larry Zabisco. That's a dream team in, in 6-11. No wrestling to speak of here, but it was intriguing. Had a good finish. Zabisco and Nagante argued. Zabisco slapped Nagante, put on the claw, then threw Zabisco into a double drop kick by Dustin and Morton for the pin, three quarters of a star. And Dustin and, and yes, Zabisco we saw have it. their issue, kind of. So that's that adds a little something. Yeah, to well, it. yeah, Missy Hyde uh, at this point in time, you, you knew uh, like what uh, phase Madonna was in <laughs> by looking at Missy Hyde. <laughs> because Missy Hyatt did parrot a lot of Madonna's looks in this era, but yeah, Eric Bishop, Missy Hyatt, Madam T.A. were your uh, your 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 people that was doing the uh, drawing of the the names and stuff of of uh, these matches, but uh, and the rare gear from Richard Morton here, he yes, his they, gear. yeah, they he he should have went to that earlier. I remember at Halloween Havoc, he still had the rock and roll gear, and he should have kept it. He should have kept that that gear. I think and, good, and him, Robert. Yeah, and and Tommy Rich too. Later on, he has has the Thomas cool Rich. Thank Thomas you. Rich. <laughs> <laughs> he had the cool gear with the stubble, and he kind of looked like Barry Windham. And I thought that was an upgrade too. Yeah, I, I did Thomas like Rich the matching Nor- York Foundation gear once they had it. The uh, yep. like the kind of like pleather gear. Yes, Tommy kept it for a while after uh, he left WCW. Ricky went right back to the Rock and Roll Express gear. When he left, so there you go. All right, here we go. Next, Jushin Thunder Liger and World Strongest Man Bill Kazmaier. Well, two stampedes. Defeated Diamond Diamond Dallas Page and Mike Graham in 1308 when Liger pinned DDP. What a waste of Liger. 
Lager did a few nice moves, some which Graham didn't sell right, since he's probably never taken those moves in his entire career. He did do the Liger dive to the floor, but the cameras missed it. Kazmaier was horrible. Three quarters of a star. Okay, we gotta see some of yeah, this. Let's, let's get for some... one spot in particular that the let's just say Mike Graham uh, it wasn't that he didn't know how to take Liger spots. So. And yeah, okay. let's get to it. As they open the We're match together, the... the two junior heavyweights. See and we have right AEW's Jim Ross. Graham, the former junior heavyweight champion of the world. Fireman carry takeover on Liger into the arm bar. Liger trying to turn into the pressure. Turn away from uh, the leverage advantage. Liger is perpetual motion. Good counter move. Jim, you talked about the uh, discrepancy as far as communication problems that Zabisco would have with Elegante. What about Bill Kazmaier and Thunder Liger? Could be some communication problems there, although at the beginning of the match, it seemed they knew exactly what each other was saying. Hip lock by Mike Graham, taking Liger over. Great contrast in styles regarding Liger and his partner Kazmaier. Well, the difference in those two guys, difference in night and day is... The old cliche would go. I mean, so far, they're doing chain wrestling, and it's fine. Lager puts on the brakes. Got a head scissor. And, and now we've got it. our first problem. <laughs> okay, that one I don't think he was sandbagging. That one I just don't think he realized what he was supposed to do. Because it was Liger doing the going to the corner and do the ankle scissors spot. Yeah. And yes. uh, Graham was not used to... It looked like knowing how to bump that close to the ropes, basically. No. No. Graham down it, with a head scissor. Go ahead. Yeah, with, with Liger, it it blew my mind even if, you know, even if you didn't quite get, you know, you, you didn't get to see maximum Liger. This is my first time seeing Liger. And on some of the shows, I guess on Saturday night, they, they promoted him coming in to face Pillman, but I didn't get those. So to me, this was, right, they, wow, who's this guy? Right, they had showed a full Benoit match from New Japan, Liger Benoit, on a Saturday night. Right. Like, I think in, like, October, November. But, and yep. they had, I think, done some video packages, but not necessarily really on the Vindicated shows. Yeah, so this was it just the, the visual, the package, all of it. And I was wondering where Bill Kazmaier's globe was from Halloween Havoc. <laughs> he didn't have the world in his hands anymore. That's right. <laughs> well, now... So Graham comes back in the ring, and it's time for the infamous spot from this match. What Graham wanted to do was to make sure he didn't go out outside, hit the floor. Oh, Graham had that move. So <laughs> Liger went to do the handspring reverse tope. That was a standard spot of his. And Graham just let him eat shit and stared at him like, you idiot. And but Graham would thing, later admit he did that on purpose because he thought it was stupid. Here's the thing, though. And this is what I was going to ask Ian about. Jim Ross handled that perfectly. Absolutely. 100%. Veteran scout. He scouted him. He, you know, well, he scout, he's a veteran. He, knew, he scouted him. Well, like, yeah, he makes both guys look good. Step back away from yeah. contact. 
Graham hit the floor. Oh, Graham had that move well scouted. Stepped yes, back away from contact. And now Liger tags huh. in. Oh, I love that Liger even, like, in character, like, but pissed at that he's getting sandbagged, is still doing the Liger body language to indicate that he's pissed off. But well, he made, but still, they can't see his face. He made the same face when he made the same face when Mike Bennett covered up Maria. I mean, that's. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Jim Ross um, does a phenomenal job in this match twice, right in those little clips on the on Graham coming in. Um, he knows Ross, to his credit, knows Liger likes to dive to the outside. And he he hits that immediately. So now. That primes the pump for, hey, Liger might dive to the outside for people like me that have never seen him before um, or barely even heard about him. Right. I may have I've seen him in the magazines a little bit, but not not much. And then the second piece is, yeah, Graham, you know, Graham looks, you know, it's, Mike Graham kind of looks old here. He, I'm, I'm sure he's only 40 and I'm almost 40, yeah, but he, 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 he looks he's like he's exactly 40. Yes. Yeah. he But he looks I'm like he's seen 40. some things. Yeah. <laughs> and. To to me, he looks like a guy that would know that's coming. So Jim Ross saying that is absolutely perfect there. Well, Ross and Tony, as an announced team, you know, was fantastic together. Totally. It's two play, it's two play by play guys, but I mean, it works perfectly in this sense, you know, because they're playing off each other. They're not, you know, they're. It's like they're having a conversation with each other, you know. It's you know, it's it's a different dynamic than you know your straight play-by-play color guy. You know, it's the two play-by-play announcers together. It's kind of how Monday Night Football was back in the day, like the era where um, Frank and Al and Dan were together, because all three had experiences being play-by-play guys at that time. Even Dan. So it's just like three guys, you know, just having a conversation, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, you know, Ross and Tony just were fantastic together when they would do their uh, announcement on these big shows. They were particularly oh, good at the last clash before this, I feel like, especially the oh, Steve Oh, well, that whole show in general, man. Well, in the main yeah. event and the angles, yeah, but yeah, that whole show. Um, how about Bill Kazmaier doing a skin the cat? Well, Kazmaier, well, look at Bill here. Bill had lost some weight. He, he looked like he lost some weight. He's trying he to get more into a in pro wrestling shape, yes. And then he's out of wrestling not too long after this. Like within <laughs> so a couple yeah. weeks, basically. Yeah. And he's he's infinitesimally. Like I, lo- I, yeah, I love Ted Arcidi, but uh, Bill Kazmaier oh. is ten <laughs> times, you know, he's just amazing here. And DDP, DDP really confused me because the last time I saw him, he was with Big Daddy Dink. And the, uh, and the and the diamond mine, yeah, because I again I didn't really see him on the syndicated programs, and and here he is with Liger, keeping up with Liger. I mean, it, people get on DDP's case, but man, he he worked and worked and worked and worked, and he never he there was no pool that was ever too deep for DDP. He just no. Even before he was he good, he was yeah he was always game. Absolutely, exactly. yeah. All right, Lex Luger and Arn Anderson, that's an interesting team, was drawn. And they beat Terrence, the world's most unappreciated great wrestler, Taylor, uh-huh. and Tom Zink in 10:25. Taylor worked as a face and was the best wrestler on the show thus far. 
as he got one pinning move on on after another on Luger. He's finally stopped as he set the fine mark with a blind knee to the back from Arn. Then Luger hitting him with the attitude adjustment pile driver. From a wrestling standpoint, this blew away everything else on the car. Three and a quarter stars. Ah, old Terrence Taylor getting the love from Dave here. What a shock. He was the whole York Foundation. Again, I know I know they've gotten a lot more love in retrospect. Um, at the time, they were really good together. They were re- it was a really solid unit. And as a presentation, a package, they were fantastic. It was so odd, though, though because all right, so Taylor is is first, you know, then Morton joins. Then Rich joins, and then they're not together as a complete unit long before they start doing the dissension and Taylor leaves. Right. I didn't, I never realized that as a kid because, again, on Saturday night is kind of where Valentine meets Taylor and all that stuff. And so to me, it was just kind of, wow, they're together. Wow, they're not together. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, Taylor. Taylor's a really good – you could tell he, he was motivated to work against Luger, too, because he's a world champion. And Taylor wasn't working against the world champion that much. So he's able to uh, you know work the world champion and look good, and Luger makes him look good here. How about you Taylor uh, fueling all that I was supposed to be Mr. Perfect stuff by doing the Mr. Perfect gimmick with the, the rolling Because <laughs> who else ever did that move yeah. in the first place? But 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 I tell you one thing about this match though. This is uh, Lex Luger and then the uh, uh, World Television Title Program of uh, January through March '91. Here basically <laughs> with these three guys, <laughs> other three guys in this match. All you need is Bobby Eaton. That's right. Yeah, you had the whole pro, whole program here. Everybody wrestled everybody at one time. Yeah. Next. Also, oh, I was Ricky's- just going to say real quick. What is it with Harley that he actually looked older with the dark hair? <laughs> I liked him with the dark hair though in this in this spot. But every when he dyed his hair back blonde again, I didn't like it. But every time he dyed it dark starting in at like with this run, he always looked older. I mean, look at like early like early two thousands Harley, when he's doing appearances and stuff. He's broken down, he's slowed down, but he's st- when he's blonde, he still looks like Harley like he still looks like Harley Race. When he when he has the dark brown hair, he looks ancient. He's the manager here, Bix. He's supposed to be looking old. I, old. I guess. You know? how, how old is he actually at this time, anyway? Uh, in, in this time, 1991? Let's see how old I'm Harley looking. Race is. Harley would have been uh, 48. Yeah, 48 years old. So basically the same age as uh, Adam Copeland and Christian Cage. <laughs> yes, as a matter of fact. <laughs> so there you go. Because he was born right, in. Richie... Okay, so April forty-three. <laughs> oh yeah, Adam Copeland's older. Adam Copeland turned fifty. That's right. In October. <laughs> <laughs> People age different. It's just the way it is now. Ricky Steamboat and Todd won half the world's most coordinated tag team champion. Beat Cactus Jack and Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker in seven forty-eight. Parker got up from his chair before they even announced him as Jack's partner. He had a premonition, I guess. <laughs> okay, all right, we got to watch this. Right. <laughs> yes, we have to watch this. So go to the go to the the uh, pick here, and let's watch how uh, how the selection of Buddy Parker went over in the heel locker room here. All right, let's see. 
Amazing ponytail on Magnus TA. Well, look at Bischoff. I mean, he's extra game show host here. Look, look at how quaffed his hair is. Oh, it's beautiful. Perfect. This helmet. Yes. It, it, that reminds me, I need to start watching Barbie on HBO Max. <laughs> yeah, Magnum's braided ponytail is fantastic here. Yes. All right. So let's let's see what we've got here as they go through the hopper. Right. As we take a look, I think I'm going to keep this one a secret for just a moment. First half of this team, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat! Yeah! His partner, Todd Champion! Okay, so Dave didn't pop this out. Todd Champion slaps Ricky Steamboat on the butt as he walks through after getting picked. Then when Todd Champion is picked, he immediately, very obviously, starts swearing up a storm at himself for giving away that he was Steamboat's partner early. <laughs> no, it's camaraderie. It's one one half of the U.S. Tag Champs and one half of the World Tag Champs. It's just camaraderie. It's, uh, it, But I will say that Todd Champion was not oiled up in previous shots, and he is in this shot. Oh, so he's, ready, he's ready for action. He is, he is very oiled and very ready to go here. But and look Todd once Champion, he gets picked. Look at, look, at, look at him. He's just ranting to himself. <laughs> oh, that's just – he's just getting pumped up because he knows – yeah, he knows that that world uh, battle bowl ring and the world title shot. Because remember, somewhere through this broadcast, they started really hitting that. Hey, this is also for a title shot. Even though the world champions in the match. Even though the world champions <laughs> in the match. Yes. <laughs> well, okay, everybody. Let's do uh, the other team. They'll be facing Cactus Jack. Oh no. Lee Parker! <laughs> Just slowly rising out of the chair. And here's Abby. Here comes <laughs> Still the butcher. Uh, apparently doesn't understand what's going on. He wanted to be Cactus Jack's partner. And Cactus partner, Buddy Lee Parker, is just being uh, annihilated. Listen to his head. Get that steel locker. It looks as if Cactus Jack's going to be on his own here, Jim. Wow. <laughs> must have heard what Dwayne's saying at the power plant. My goodness, he has a broom. He just broke that broom right over. You see a lot of guys jumping up to help Sergeant Parker, don't you? Yeah. Nobody wants to have anything to do with Abdullah. So I don't know if Abdullah's doing uh, his... Uh, <laughs> and he's trying to stagger out to the match. Favors. Parker's trying to make his way up. This, you know, Jim, uh, this is a big bonus for Steamboat and Todd Champion. They've been watching on the monitors here as well as we have. What's transpired? Cactus yes, have screens and everything. Where's my partner? So a weird, a weird thing before we see who comes out here. The It was very odd as a WCW, a person trying to follow WCW, because you didn't see abby that much you didn't see cactus on a regular basis quite yet so it was very strange uh to see them to see vader to see a, a, a number of these guys the night stalker spoilers 
Um, just kind of show up at this event to fill out the 40, 40 person roster. Yeah, we have screens in the building too. Like I said, a very rare uh, thing here for WCW at the time. Yeah. For the fans to see what's going on. I mean, for the next uh, nine years, a rare thing in WCW. Yes. Or eight, eight years, I should say. All right, let's continue here. Well, Abdullah coming out here. <laughs> and uh, that's not Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker. And he's got the he fucking head so on. Look at Abdullah, big smile on his face, isn't that? <laughs> Rip Rogers well, the floor security. The officials, the officials have to take, have to take charge here. This cannot happen Just at all. Tony, why don't you go tell Abdul he can't wrestle? I I'll do that, Jim. <laughs> Abdullah. Oh, there's Mike Atkins. Who has just uh, decimated Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker and uh, leaves us in a very unique situation with Steamboat and Champion. I have to wonder here. How about the uh, a get up cactus? Jack, in fact, will get him a partner if Buddy Lee will be able to get in here. Right now, it's one on two. Cactus calling for Abdullah, who's being ushered back finally. And now Abby's just so listening sad. to the referees. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, he's got to get a oh, shot oh. at Buddy Lee. Parker, yeah. Parker made his way up. He's being hammered again. <laughs> Oh, man, right in the head. Good grief. Oh, he hit the floor that time. Yeah. That well, one the match is starting. Abdullah is totally confused. And I'm sure that shouldn't surprise anyone. No, he was totally confused when he got to the arena. <laughs> Abdullah just knocked Parker right off into the bunch of fans there. Parker falling it. into the floor. Well, I've. Uh, Our director is not mo moving quick enough here. <laughs> see it here, fans. This is uh, rather strange. I think we we need to yeah, also mention like that. that uh, Cactus Jack stalling for time on the outside. Yeah, uh, should have been. You would want yeah. Buddy Lee Parker to get in there, wouldn't you? You think you'd want a partner in a tag team match? Nine. Right. Yeah, something, yeah, something, yeah, something like that. They they probably should have had some awareness of of if that could have happened thought about the possibility of that it's it was weird seeing cactus here though because and abdullah because they would show up maybe once or twice a year and they would vacillate between fan favorite or villain and it really it, cactus was mostly a villain but abdullah came in if if chris correct me if i'm wrong as a as a fan favorite at the end of 90 and he then was, really he was with norman right both and captain mike spring 90 and captain mike he leaves he comes back in the summer you know, 91 as one of the gift boxes. Yeah, him and a cactus. Yes, yeah. which and then cactus and there cactus is, is a combo. Yeah, cactus is dressed like Stevie Nicks here for some reason. <laughs> yes, um, we. I gotta say, eh, Dusty deserves more credit for how well he booked Abdullah here. Yes, this whole run. Yeah. Yes. And Abdullah seems he like he's having a blast the, the whole time. Oh, yeah? All right, so uh, the gimmick was Abby was mad because he wasn't Cactus's partner, but they thought he was just doing the dirty work because Parker violated kayfabe by getting them from his chair before his name was called. <laughs> 
Abby gave him a tremendous headshot to the kendo stick. Parker got out of the dressing room on stage. Abby attacked him again, tried to go to the ring. Ref wouldn't let him. Steamboat Cat just had a hot open while Parker crawled from the stage to the ring. Everybody's good at Steamboat work with Cat this, as it was bad when Champion was in the ring. Finally, Buddy Lee got to the ring. It was immediately tagged in and quickly pinned by Steamboat's flying body press. Star and a half. R- uh, yeah, Rip Rogers at ringside as a security guy watching this, taking notes right. for his battle bowl appearance two years later. <laughs> Where it was almost the same exact thing. Which I'll, I'll say this: I think it was Rip and Hawk. I yes, it was a Rip. I be, I became a Rip Rogers fan that night. I mean, that was Buddy. Buddy was fine, and as we're watching this, Cactus is about to do a ridiculous dive to the outside. Holy smokes! Um, flying elbow, but the. But a rip took that. It was like it was like when someone samples a song and, and the song with the sample ends up better than the original. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Todd Champion had a great physique, man. Oh. He looked he looked the part. Certainly did. And and I thought, I mean, it, it was maybe it was the quality of opponents too, but I I didn't see a bad WCW Todd Champion match. Now, granted, they were mostly in with Anderson and Zabisco, or they were in with with pretty with the young pistols, you know. But it was rare that you you saw anything that wasn't that that the crowd wasn't behind Todd Champion for. They weren't bad they, wrestlers. They weren't bad. They weren't bad at all. I mean, they 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 were in with good opponents, which helped them too. Oh, and Buddy Lee Parker. Uh, <laughs> Here he goes. Cactus the, in the ring. Yeah, the Beal toss, and uh, really just fed to the lambs here, <laughs> or the lambs lambs fed to the wolves here. Yeah, there he goes. What a sell getting up. Boop. One, two, three. So there you go. All right. Uh, next, we get Sting and Abdul the Butcher beating Bobby Eaton and Brian Pillman in five thirty-seven when Sting pin Eaton with flying body press. This is pretty exciting from start to finish. Abdullah attacked Sting for the match. Pillman made the save. It broke down to Abby versus Pillman and Sting and Eaton. Sting, Abby versus Pillman and Sting was Eaton for a while. Actually, Sting and Eaton were in the entire match, although Pillman did do a big splash on Abby. Sting did a great dive on Bobby. Abby kept attacking Sting throughout the match. Well, makes sense because they had the big stuff going on with them m- months earlier. Katniss came out and hit Abdul with a kendo stick with Sting duck, and Sting flew into Eaton while Pillman kept Abdul from breaking up the pin. That would cause Pillman's team to lose. After the match, Abdul and Katniss brawl to the dressing room, which under normal circumstances would make me believe that one of them is about to turn. But since we're not talking about a normal promotion that does things that lead to something else instead of one that just runs angles full time and forgets about them, 50 seconds later, who really knows? Three and a quarter stars. Well, Dave, it's leading to uh, them having their big match at the Clash. But, uh, but yes, there's Rip Rogers. Um, so let's go to let's watch the final parts of this match picks where uh, Abby and Cactus have their little uh, deal here. Yes, and of course, Pillman taking the Pillman bump onto the rail off the off the uh, the ramp. Of course. Skipping ahead here. Sting gets a tombstone. Oh, quasi tombstone here. No, the shoulder Almost breaker. Kills- I think. A shoulder breaker. Oh Jesus! No, no it wasn't. <laughs> what the. <laughs> Uh, he 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 nearly uh, killed the mayor of Eatonton. <laughs> I'm telling you, Ian, I need you to do uh, 
try to convince uh, Sting to go to this look one more time. Oh. Tires. <laughs> I don't. Uh, with, with Sting, uh, he and I have a rivalry dating back to 1994. I knocked over his son, oh. who in the Honey I Shrunk the Kids uh, play place in MGM <laughs> Disney MGM Studios, and when I looked up. I saw this giant man and I started crying because his son, Garrett, I think is three years younger. So I was seven. Garrett was four. Maybe he's four years younger. He was substantially smaller than I was. I was a big kid. And Garrett's Garrett's very, a very big man now. But um, <laughs> but I knocked him over and he was he was kind of upset and I was very upset. And then I looked up and I saw this huge man and I was bawling. And my mom, you know, hey, are you OK? Just make sure the little boy's OK. Hey, Ian, do you know that sting? And when I when I when I figured out that I I hurt Sting's son, I was heartbroken. I was despondent. I wanted to go home. I didn't want to leave the park. I wanted to go back to Pennsylvania. I, and so, so Sting, I, we've been in the same dressing room. I don't think he has a photographic memory because we've been pleasant um, in the few times that we've interacted. But yeah, I, I just don't want to test it. I, so Chris, you might have to ask somebody else uh. to, to put in that favor. <laughs> so I, I take it then that you were not at any of the shows that Garrett Borden has been at then. I have not been, but um, I do know a Caitlin Borden who knows Garrett very well, and she does great work for AEW Together. And uh, she reminds me that that Garrett is now six foot three and played Division One <laughs> college football. And that should we ever meet, that my number might come up. So. <laughs> wow. <laughs> run, uh, I tell you what, that, uh, those rivalries run deep. <laughs> <laughs> Multi-generational. <laughs> yes. All right. So let's get back to the match. Send by Sting on beautiful Bobby. That Pillman is a ball of fire. Now Abdullah has his partner again. And Cactus Jack is here. Oh, there's Cactus with that stick. And... He and his partner sting the dropkick on Cactus. Beautiful Bobby. Barely able to stand. Sting off the top. Can he get it? One, two, three, yeah. Sting and Abdullah. That was a fast count. <laughs> Mike Acton's going to the uh, WWF house show school of refereeing there. Is that Luke Graham a foreigner right there? On the, on the, on the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. He's been waiting for a sting. <laughs> it, it felt like the first time that he was right. At the, at the... <laughs> oh, my goodness. And, and Abby going right out in front. Here we go. Uh-oh. And I have a, still back here the I have a Bob, Cactus Jack and Abdullah. I have a, now you can walk over. Uh-oh. <laughs> just cactus I have a Bobby Eaton anecdote real quick as, as he rolls out in these two brawl. Bobby Eaton came to one of our ROH shows in Duluth, Georgia. And he said, I, I want to meet Mark and Jay Briscoe. And Jay Briscoe was so overwhelmed that, that Bobby Eaton, of all people, would ask to meet him. He didn't think I was telling the truth. And so I had to, I had to reassure him. Oh God! Was that John, John Red right there in, in uh, a <laughs> shirt there? <laughs> oh my goodness! Look at these fans. Oh, Rogers. Oh, there's some bad haircuts. <laughs> it's 1991. 
I thought Abdullah just pushed the. I bought that for a dollar, guy from Robocop. <laughs> Yeah, he looked like he, and I don't think he's part of the WCW team. I think he's part of the building staff. Yeah, he definitely was not the WCW crew. Yeah, oh my goodness. But I was at that Duluth show, by the way, that Bobby Eaton was at. So there you go. Oh, awesome. I, remember, I remember that. What a great show that was. Yeah. All, right. all those shows were great. There's, all right, so there's Dollface. All right, so Big Van Vader, Mr. Hughes. Oof. Beat Rick Steiner and the Night Stalker, Brian Clark <laughs> at 5.06, when Vader splashed Stalker. Yes, Vader is not wearing a mask here. Nothing. It's been a long time since I've seen someone blow a big splash spot, but Stalker nearly did, Dave said. Steiner was great doing power moves on both big guys, particularly worked well with Vader with stiff shots back and forth. <laughs> what a shock. Stalker tagged in, was lost. It was pinned at the same time. Steiner hit a bullet off top rope on Hughes, star and three-quarter. What was the last time well, there's a reason why was even there? We'll have a note on that in just a little bit. Also, what, the good. Night Stalker in white gear. It looks good. That's more like a cream tights there. <laughs> got white boots and knee pads, but that is some cream tights. Wasn't his last match against Sid with where so Motor City Madman came down? <laughs> yes, the legendary match at the Clash. Over a year earlier. <laughs> then we have Scott Steiner and Chip the Firebreaker. Yeah. You know, right in the man and Johnny B. Bad in 11-16 when Scott pinned Br- uh, Brad, <laughs> right in the Brad, with an over-the-head belly-to-belly suplex. Also, Match remember, he's not this- Chip the Firebreaker. He's Firebreaker Chip. Because as uh, Paulie Dangerously once remarked on commentary, why did Mr. and Mrs. Chip name their son Firebreaker? <laughs> <laughs> Sunspots were good, but really drag star in the quarter. Then we get Ron Simmons and Thomas Rich beating uh, Steve Armstrong and PN News at 11.44 when Simmons pinned Stevie with a spinebuster slam. Armstrong really tried to make it a good match, but there was nothing to interest anyone with at this point. And again, they went too long for a match this late in the show. Three quarters of a star. So I, I think that's a, a really pertinent comment. Um, sometimes... Sometimes more is not more. And this card has a really interesting concept. And if it would have been shaved down by maybe a, a match or two, it, it actually would have. I think it's quite good as it is. Um, I don't know if it's pay-per-view good, but as a kid, I wore out this VHS tape. I taped it off TV as it happened, and I pretty much wore it down. Um, but as I've gotten older, I've rewatched it. It's fun to see you know, some of the more campy characters I love Firebreaker Chip. Um, he's, you know, I love the Patriots in general. But the the thing that I enjoy is is sort of the wackiness and the randomness. And but as you're watching it, it's long, and you can tell that the crowd has seen enough of maybe these random tag matches because they they get back up for the battle royal. They get really back up for the battle royal. And so if they just kind of shave this down by a match or two, this would I think be well you know, more well-remembered. Um, and also, you know, we, we commented about Rick Steiner. They, that makes two active school board members participating in this week's show. In Rick, <laughs> <laughs> yes. in Rick Steiner and myself. And I, I think I became the first ever elected official to get appointed during an AEW Dynamite show. So, <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> and Scott Steiner, of course, uh, being probably the only wrestler on this show that was a Shoney's uh, entrepreneur. So That's right. Go. 
<laughs> All right. Um, so next we get the, the big battle royal. Lex Luger and Sting won ring one and ring two respectively in the two-ring battle royal. Battle royals suck on pay-per-view. Royal Rumble's usually good, but not so many are in the ring at once, so they can work spots and you can follow the action. But traditional battle royals don't make good television. Particularly actions go with all the two rigs simultaneously. Clearly, there was some substantial amount of good action, most of it outside the ring when two workers like, say, Steamboat and Arn decided to get out of the ring and do something with everyone else getting in the way. It was pretty bad overall. Luger ended up being the last one left in the first ring. Second ring, the final four was Rude, Austin, Sting, and Steamboat. Austin went out, then Rude and Steve. Steamboat went out simultaneously. Rude threw Steamboat over. Steamboat pulled himself up, grabbed the head scissors on Rude, flipped him over while hanging on. And Steamboat tried to flip himself back in the ring. Rude from the floor pulled him out in 1737. Addition trivia note is that the final two men left in ring one were Luger and Vader, both heels, and both holding the respective world titles of WCW United States and the IWGP World Title of Japan. Vader captured the IWGP belt from Tetsumi Fujinami a week earlier in Bremen, Germany. Half a star. Final spot was good enough to elevate it from a dud. All right, Ian, how hard is it to call a battle royal? I I have less experience than you might think. I've called a few honor rumbles. Um, I've called a ROH battle royal with Kid USA in it in 2016, I believe, or 2017. Wait, Kid USA or Kid uh, USA Armand? Oh, it was it was Kid USA, <laughs> but. <laughs> The, the thing with battle royals is we, we talked about floor direction and that battle royals are, are one particular match where you, you know, you trust your team and at AEW ring of honor, we have, we have the best, we have the best of the best. But if you see something, it's, it's, you got to say it and you got to say, you know, call what's on the screen, but also there could be something slightly more interesting that's, that's starting to pick up. So you really got to have sort of a heightened sense of awareness and the one that I think of the most is the honor rumble we did at Madison Square Garden, where essentially for me, if the great Muda was doing anything interesting, which he, he was, I would continue to to point out the great Muda was doing something interesting. And that's that's my strategy, you know, call the screen, but kind of keep one eye open. And I actually I turned around. Uh, and turn my monitor with me for that because our backs were actually to the show to get the cool shot of the garden. Um, but but yeah, call the monitor and then keep your eye out to see if anything anything that could be more interesting than what you're seeing is happening. It has been a long. Right. Sting and Luger left. Sting won in six twenty nine, throwing Luger out. Luger dominated early since Rude gave Sting a rude awakening before the match started. Sting made his comeback. Harley Race took two perfect form bumps before Sting tossed Luger over the wind. Well, some may complain about the obvious predictability of the finish. It probably had to be this way since Luger has most of the next two months off, and they had to do something in the show to set up the Luger's team match of the next pay-per-view. Two and three-quarter stars. Yes, yeah, so let's watch this, shall we, and see how this played out. All night for both these men. They're both in magnificent condition. Sting already huh. held on. Luger thinks he has it won. Sting straight kilo there. Kenny reached down. A kick to the gut. Another right hand. The Stinger is on fire here. Big right hand. And the world's champion is reeling. The Stinger becoming offensively dominant. This crowd is going crazy. That's a great, that's a great crowd shot. Now, 
That standing crowd shot is beautiful. Sting with a clothesline. Luger. Oh, great balance. He held on. Sting. He got him over. And Sting won it. Sting defeats Luger to win Battle Bowl. Ladies and gentlemen, the winner of the first ever Battle Bowl is Sting. Jim, it was a battle. From the beginning of the night, it was a battle. And against all odds, Sting is the first Battle Bowl champion. On that pyro. Fire uh, yeah, 15 grand in pyro. <laughs> here in the Norfolk Scope Arena. What a display of courage by that man. I'll tell you something. He is so appreciative of the little stingers here, and that's who he's giving the credit to right now. No music. That's that's kind of odd. In the day's time, yes. Yeah. But, yeah, they didn't pump yet. it up yet. See, do they, oh, and he's winding up to Harley. Still no music. It was Abdullah the Butcher, his partner, to begin things. And Abdullah attacked him. Back from that, winning basically no on his own the tag team match. No he's music. Going to the second ring. And then Luger had all the time in the world to wait to rest. And then Sting suffered the rude awakening. He still came back from that and prevails over the world heavyweight champion. I forget, looking at the way JR looks slightly uncomfortable and is adjusting his cummerbund and everything here, this isn't the pay per view where he's passing the kidney stone, is it? I'm not sure, but I know how that is. Believe me, yeah. I passed nine. <laughs> Ooh. It's not fun. I, I <laughs> am looking that. right now. Uh, there was one during a WWE pay-per-view, but there was one WCW, wasn't there, too? Uh, possible. I don't remember. I always that, remember but... it being during a WCW pay-per-view. But uh, yeah, never fun. You got you got to constantly go to the bathroom, and then he cannot do that here. He's stuck. You know, <laughs> I mean that's <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're tethered. You're tethered. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, but um, I mean, yeah. Of course, the finish is predictable, but hell, that I mean, that's good. I mean, that, yeah. it means it makes sense. You you want pre- sometimes you need to have predictability because that's what you've set it up to be. You got to go with your plan. And and they did a real nice job of, of planting some seeds. You know, Vader Vader into the end, and and no one, I don't think many people know that Vader's about to come in for a long period of time. Steve Austin, who's had a a pretty good run to that point with the TV title, it'll get even better in the next couple of weeks. Um, he's in there. Uh, you get rude to the maximum sweat, which is, you know, my my friend Chris and I have a joke that when when rude gets lathered up, that's when he's at his best. He gets this extra shine when he gets into <laughs> when he's yes. having really really good matches, and he and, hits that level of of, uh, of sweat. <laughs> and you got him and Steamboat starting their thing here too. Basically. Yeah, yeah, great foreshadowing. Um, even the fun stuff. Uh, Liger and Morton get a couple seconds. Or Pillman and Morton get a couple seconds. Um, Liger gets some cool showcase moments. It's really, this is a really, every, a lot of folks like the dangerous Alliance stuff. This is when it's starting to kick into full gear, but this is a really cool moment in time where all that stuff starts to finally sort out. Cause 91 is the weirdest time in the history of WCW. Oh, they, are, God. they are using anybody and everybody. 
Halloween Havoc has like 15 changes. Um, that Chamber of Horrors match, the advertisement, three of the four guys on the villain team don't make the match. Um, the fourth guy gets, quote unquote, injured in the parking lot. So it's <laughs> it's the craziest thing. And don't and forget this that he had, a, he had turned babyface several weeks earlier, but was still on the heel team. In, in September, teaming with Ron Simmons against Mr. Hughes and Lex Luger. Yeah, it was and crazy. He, you got Doug Summers working a family match on 1991. <laughs> The creatures, and then this this is a match you can point to that said, okay, we've there. This is a pay per view that could say, okay, we we went through all that kind of sorting out period, and these are the wrestlers, the folks that won these matches are the wrestlers that you'll see a lot more of in '92, and it I, it paid off. '92 was really fun, maybe not at the box office, but from a fan perspective, it it really. And Jim Jim Hurd's about to be gone. Jim Hurd's going to be uh, done in the next uh, week and a half. Oh, so, wow. This is his last pay-per-view. Yeah, and we do need to stress, too, that, like, July through mid-November was dire. July through mid-November was the worst WCW television up to that point in the company's history. Clash, the Clash. Well, Halloween Havocs were really, you know, started to show the signs. Yeah, and like, then the Clash the, is just... The Clash in November is where it starts to turn around. Yes. All right, Dave has some notes from the show. I always thought the blind draw tab match gave us a great one for a special television show or a clash because an easy way to set new angles between partners or rivals drawn blindly. Dave was against it on pay-per-view from the start because of a lack of specific matchups to sell the event. Either the buy rate may not be as bad as the last review because right to Christmas seems to be the perfect time to run a pay-per-view. We'll see in a few days because Dave's gut feeling is the buy rate won't have, won't have been very good. However, none of the T's dream matchups such as Steiner versus Steiner and Sting and Ruse, the team, etc., took place. Closest thing was Freebird versus Freebird, which nobody was exactly clamoring for or dreaming about. No real new angles were started that Dave could tell, and then Taylor working as a face and probably doing a clean job. And maybe Katniss and Abdullah, but it's never referred to again, so who knows? There's a lot of very good talent in this company, but with the exception of Luger versus, and Anderson versus Sting, Zink and Taylor, none of the good workers were put in a match that allowed them to showcase their ability. Abdullah showcased his unique ability, to be sure, but Pillman was wasted in a match where he never tagged in, and where it would have been perfect was just a guy would never get in, get in the height of Hammer, Champion, News, or Kazmaier, Bagwell, whoever's in that spot, and it just would have just been just effective and would have had a, a just good match. And Pillman could have been put in opposite of Liger, and they could have had a four-star tag team match. Gee, I wonder who was talking to Dave. <laughs> who was who called Dave up after this show? Invented. There, there seemed to be at least two people, possibly three, that had some personal interest in those comments. But yes, yes, indeed. Looking back at the Observer of two weeks ago, in legit blind draw, the match put together had more potential than the lineup that they worked on putting together to give the best possible action. You know, this car lasted the same two hours forty-seven minutes every WWE pay-per-view show does. It seemed too long. A good card of that length often seems too short, so it isn't the time as much as the card. Dave could recall being a Starcade 86 in Greensboro, which lasted four and a half hours. It wasn't one minute too long because almost every match it was great, and you need that much time so it's not shortchanging into good matches. Ten matches was too many because the last two just seemed like you wanted to get them over with and get to the Battle Royal, which within two minutes you also wanted to get over with. Exactly. I mean... We've had some AEW reviews in recent time period that, I mean, every match was so damn good that even though it would go five hours, it still, it still was a hell of a show. 
but you know, I mean, but you have some shows that are less than three hours and like, God almighty, when's the show going to (laughs) end? Because (laughs) there's nothing on there that's making you not want it to end. You know, that's the thing, you know, when you have great wrestling, you know, sometimes you're like, yeah, I mean, I don't want this to end. You know, let's go a little bit longer. Yeah. There are those exceptions though. I mean, it was a, uh, WrestleMania that uh, one year uh, that had, was a really good WrestleMania that lasted six hours, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I get it. Yeah, Folk Year 2022 to me was the let's just keep going. Like I I came to the building that night and I was I was tired. I had a you know I have a at the time six and three year old, so I was coming in exhausted and um, you know just personal life stuff and I. I saw JR, I saw Tony, and I saw Excalibur, and I was ready to have a good time. And that card, I think, went for five hours, and I loved every minute of it. And, you know, there's cards like Canadian Stampede that are an hour and 50 minutes, and no one who watches that show would say they felt like they're ripped off. So, if you know, I, it's definitely about is it put together well? Is it top to bottom? Are there ebbs and flows? Um, and, yeah, I... I think Dave was a little too harsh on this, though. Again, maybe it was a little too long. I really enjoyed it. It Might be the the nostalgia, Um, but some of these some of these quote unquote random tag team matches were were shockingly good. I I like the the Taylor Zink versus Anderson and Luger match a lot. I like Rudin Austin's tag team match a lot, and the Freebirds out of the gate, you know, against one another was pretty fun. There was a moonwalk off, Um, you know, there was Mm -hmm. there was that sort of thing, and. I just, from a fun perspective, this felt like a, a really fun show that set up a lot of what people love about 1992 WCW. Yeah. I mean, honestly, when it comes to the Battle Bowl matches themselves, this is probably the best of the three Battle Bowl shows. Or the. Yeah. Uh, I, well, yes. Technically, but yeah. Yes, I agree. Well, let's go to a letter to the Observer about Starcade 91. Where do you start? From this joint and opening sequence of all Eric Bischoff, Missy Hyatt, Man MTA to the cheap screwjob finish of the Luger Sting finale. This is a major thumbs Wait, down. Wait, what cheap screwjob? I guess the way Luger went over the top rope. Okay, that's kind what of that a, is, though. Well, <laughs> and this person said no better. He's actively in the wrestling business and on television at the time. Yes. Uh, the thought of Hayes versus Garvin in the ring for the opener was fun, but the match itself was horrible and a waste of three talented wrestlers and a talented newcomer. Liger stood out like a sore thumb in his match as he was the only one of the four who did anything. I gave that match one star off of Liger. Why waste the best wrestler in the world by teaming him with Bill Kazmaier? Steamboat, Todd Chambers, Scottish Jack, and Buddy Lee Parker match was a highlight of the evening as far as booking goes. Abdul's attack on Parker and the Buddy chant as Parker crawled to the ring was entertaining. Missy's comment of, so this is a shoot? <laughs> will no doubt go down as an all-time classic line along with Dusty's famous make it good oh, line from a few years back the steamboat match was a star and a half which tried only to sting Abdullah Pillman Eaton two stars and sting Luger two stars best match on the show Big Van Vader should be a law for most unimproved and Scott Steiner was totally wasted Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone deserve credit for trying to make sense out of this mess they tried all the ground the WCB game with the clash has been lost Apparently the days of Starcade being the Alpha and Omega of the wrestling season are over with. The last three years have wreaked havoc on the once omnipresent mystique of Starcade. 
We've seen the last of the Nine of Skywalkers and the Gathering type events that make Stargate the highlight show of the year. That's a damn shame. Signed, Scott Hudson, Atlanta, Georgia. We love Scott, but I still can't believe that anyone ever thought that Make It Good was a blooper. (laughs) It's because they just didn't get it. Because they didn't get where that came from, didn't the origin of it. You know, that stuff. And that you know where that comes from? Dave. But isn't that a John Wayne line? Isn't that it's like a, it's you, a line you get, from a Western, yes. Yeah, you get one shot and make it good. Exactly. Exactly. I feel like that's, that's obvious, what... but also it's a pre taped thing and he says it very loudly. It's not like he's muttering <laughs> it. Yeah. So he ob- it's obviously not producer Virgil Runnels giving but, but that's the directions. Newsletter people of the era, that's what they believed and that's what was pushed as the narrative. I mean, and, we did a whole show about the anti-Dusty stuff with the Dustin stuff, so yeah, uh-huh. but... Uh. but with, so, if, if you're of that proclivity, the devil's advocate, you would know Scott Steiner's shoulder almost fell off, yes. and that and that he was just coming back from that, and that for that whole month or so, he was getting it, taking it easy, so he'd be ready for the Tokyo Dome. Yeah, but, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so it's, it's kind of the weird disconnect, because if you're you know, if, if you're that into wrestling at that point to know one thing, you you, sh- you should know that they're probably just giving Scott, you know, a nice showcase to make sure his shoulder doesn't fall off before his big Tokyo Dome match. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. also, I, I love Scott pointing out, you know, how well uh, Tony and Jr. made sense of the whole thing when. You know, I'm sure it's on his mind after he just had to try to make sense of Max Andrews as an undercover operative <laughs> a few weeks earlier. Actively announcing for the Global Wrestling Federation at this time, yes. Yes, on ESPN, the uh, total – what? It, wait, they weren't the worldwide leader in sports yet, right? They were the Total Sports, sports Network. Network, yeah. Which I don't, I don't mean to brag, but I did exchange Merry Christmases with – GWF legend Jerry Lynn the other day. So hey, don't mean go. to don't mean to drop names, but yeah, would be yeah, well he'll be a prominent uh, part of that section later on the show. All right, uh, preliminary estimates are that Starcade did a 1.2 buy rate, which is actually the best for Dozer Baby Show since the War Game Show in February, which either says a lot for the tournament concept, which we knocked, or for holding up every show the week after Christmas. Dave's sticking with a ladder. If those figures are correct, we're looking at 3.7 million dollar gross, which will be a record for Dozer Baby Show. The card also drew a $92,000 live gate in Norfolk, about 7600 pay, which would be, they believe, the largest live gate in 1991 for a WCW house show. You know, it's it's always interesting looking back that the pay-per-views and clashes generally did at least okay, even when the house shows weren't drawing. And Starcade pretty much always drew solidly live. You know, but... Just they were not able to replicate it at the house shows. No. Which I think no. is another direction in just the whole it's the live event promotion side of things. It's that's when they're actually focused and promoting a pay-per-view, everyone knows about it, so those do well. Yes. So Diamond Stub Miss Stark A. He was there, but he was in a uh, a sling. Because he had an operation to remove bone chips from his elbow, and yes, that's why the Night Stalker was on the show, replacing the Diamond Stud. Well, he didn't have a match anyway, so I know he did. What am I talking about? But still, like, why did it have to be <laughs> Night Stalker when you have so many other people there? That's what I was trying to get at. Sorry. 
Well. Two. And and to WCW's credit, they actually updated. They list all forty names at the beginning, and Night Stalker is in that list. So to their credit, WCW everybody. Nay, they can uh, okay. do some good things. So this is interesting. On Cage Match, the default profile name for Brian Clark is Adam Bomb. For well, whatever that's reason. what he's most known for. Is it? I feel like he's more known as Brian Clark or Wrath these days. Oh no 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 no. No, he's more you you if you pull if you pull people, he's probably known most known for the atom bomb. Because that was his WWF name, you know, and just the, the gimmick of the character. But he was in front of more eyeballs and whatnot as Wrath. Yeah, but Adam Bomb as a name, you know? That sure. just stands out. That stands out. Also a great uh uh, figure too. Yeah, so he had not been there in over a year for the record. His his last match was uh, 13 months earlier on a, a Saturday night show taped in Dothan. Well, he was working indies. He's Southern Indies. I mean, that's what he was doing. So, you know. And this is Plus pretty he smoky. Good. Yeah, and this is pretty smoky, so he has not uh, made his big improvement as a wrestler yet. Yeah. All right, crowds are, we're up Christmas week with a load of lineups in every city. Well, let's go to the shows. Dallas on the 26th. Drew 3300 is P&E's beat Terry Taylor. Tom Zinker, Larry Zbisco. Michael Hayes over DDP in the worst match on the show. Joey Bad Ricky Morton. Richard Morton. Bad was booed because fans in Texas don't go for the subtle, effeminate act on a baby face. Shocking. Caddish Jack and Abdullah beat Van Hammer and Elegante. Austin went to a draw with Scott Steiner. Second best match on the show. Steamboat and Dustin over Eaton and Arn. Good match. Medusa worked Sherry like at ringside. Liger Pin Pillman won the two best matches in Dallas during 1991. Although fans booed Liger generally as a foreigner. Rude beat Sting on a reverse decision DQ when Sting got the phone and KO'd Rude. We apparently never win the title, but second ref reversed it. And then Luger Pin Rick Stein with his feet on the ropes. Disappointing. Meadowlands on the 27th through 3900. All tickets priced at 7 and 11. PNUs over Taylor. Half a star. Fans boo PNUs unmercifully. Garvin over DDP. Star and a half. Zink over Zabisco. Three quarters of a star. Fans booed Zink. Caddis and Abdul over Hammer and Higante. Star and three quarter. Rude over Sting by DQ in a reverse decision. After Sting got the PNUs in the phone. Two enough stars. Bad over Morton. Star and three quarter. Austin and Steiner going to their draw. Two stars. Liger over Pillman in 1543. Liger did the assigned moonsault out of the ring. Three and three quarter stars. Steamboat and Dustin over Eaton and Arn, three and a quarter stars. And then Luger double counted with St- Rick Steiner, two and three quarter stars. But the average attendance, the actual attendance, as we go to the week later, was right at 5000 paid, with the gate being $46,000. His tickets are priced at seven eleven. Why? Seven eleven, the gas station, sponsored the car. We've also received an inordinate amount of phone calls saying the three and three quarter star rating for Liger and was too low. Most of the calls said they felt it was four and a half, four and three quarter stars. And Rude and Sting was excellent as well. Actual attendance in Dallas from the 26th was closer to 2,000 paid, while Baltimore on the 28th for an afternoon show did about 3,000 paid, which was double the previous card. Oh, God. Baltimore had PEs over Taylor, starting to have Garmin and Page Dud, Zinc over Zabisco Dud, Caddis and Abby, who were cheered as the Bay Faces over Higante and Hammer, two stars. Bad over Morton Dud, Austin Steiner draw, two and a half stars. Liger Pillman, four and a half stars. 
Steamboat and Dustin on Eaton, three and a half stars. Root over Steam by DQ, two stars. Rick over Luger by DQ. And two out of three fall match when Luger at the referee in the third fall, which lasted 14 minutes, two stars and a quarter. Okay, and real Chad- quick, um, I pulled the results in attendance because I was curious about Meadowlands. So just for perspective, the July 3rd show with the announcement that Flair was fired, so but draw but drawing a house with war games with Flair in it on top. August 29th, 1,800 paid. And then October 16th was canceled, I presume, due to a poor advance. Followed the next day, by the way, by 1,000 in Baltimore. That's the show before this one we just talked about. No, 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 no. no. The previous Baltimore show. Yeah. And then... This is the show before this one we just talked about, yes. Yeah. And then this is the return to the Meadowlands after taking that show off so honestly five thousand paid is based on how things had been i feel like is a good sign yeah rick rick rude and ricky steamboat were with every penny i mean because they had they had the blue chip talent they had dustin rose they had steve austin that i mean even pillman hadn't you know we hadn't seen the best of pillman yet um you know tom zink settled in sting was still sting the steiners were still awesome but Adding, adding Steamboat and Rude really helped get a whole bunch of guys to different levels, different gears. Barry Windham coming back full strength was huge. They had a just a confluence of really great things kind of come their way in this time period, um, and it it was less it was less cartoony. Like you watch, and you'll see Ron Simmons standing with Dusty Rhodes talking about the plate of the black athlete and saying things that. Really, only later he would say, as Farouk and maybe Shane Taylor and Ring of Honor and AEW have said, that are real from the heart anecdotes about being treated different, even though they're just as capable of it as athletes. And knowing that sometimes they have to work twice as hard because there's still certain people out there that only see them for the color of their skin. So there was, there was really interesting things happening from Simmons, from Rick Rude coming in. Um, you know, Paulie Dangerously, obviously the Dangerous Alliance, but um, Dustin Rhodes being able to wrestle Rick Rude. Uh, Dustin was always this puppy with big paws. All of a sudden, he he it just all clicks, and Dustin is reaches the potential even faster than I think anybody anticipated. Um, same thing with Steve Austin, who is wrestling Barry Windham and Steamboat, and he just you know again everybody saw the potential with a you know with flashing lights. But suddenly he reaches it almost immediately after, you know, Wyndham settles back in and, and Steamboat comes in. And it's just incredible the way everything comes together. And, and this pay-per-view to me is where it all starts because Halloween Havoc's still a mess. Uh, the clash was awesome. You could you could maybe point back to that clash and say, yep, here's where it all here's where all the pieces fall together. But to me, this is still OK. We, we're now, we're, we know we're going Sting and Luger. Because they still really hadn't done that. They still really hadn't gone Sting and Luger at all. Um, and that's still a fresh matchup. Unfortunately, it's you get it once and then it, it, it's gone. But it's it's the stuff that they throw together here. Yeah. And also yeah. worth noting, too, like for all we talk about how out of sync with the TV programs and everything, the house show lineups are for much of the early part of WCW's existence. That's not happening here. Everything's in sync with the TV programs. You have a very attractive top half of the card. Like, this is 
this is what WCW house shows always should have looked like. Right. And not for nothing, if anybody's listening, I have a cash reward out. If you can find Johnny B. Bad and PN News on BET, which <laughs> there is contemporaneous, report, contemporaneous reporting from not beyond Dave Meltzer. There are reports that this did happen. I've reached out to my contacts at Viacom. I've reached out to folks at, at MTV that I've worked with over the years and various different things I did with them. They, it exists, but it's not labeled, so it's somewhere there. So our best shot is to find it in someone's attic or garage. If you have unmarked tapes from BET from August 4th, 1991, I have a cash reward uh, available if you can find it. Because that's, to me, that now that we found Tom McGee versus Bret Hart, that's the holy grail of professional wrestling. Hmm. Well, yeah. the cash reward also go for... Uh... Who is it? Tommy Dreamer and Rob Van Dam on Fox and Friends. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> was it Brian Kilmeade who asked about uh, when uh, eating a certain uh, tossing salad? Yes, or it was either Brian oh Kilmeade or Steve Ducey. We don't know which. That said, <laughs> would you would like would like to toss our salads? Not realizing what it meant. <laughs> Holy smokes! I mean, you can put the money up for that one. I, I'm just I'm just looking for something that. 1991's probably the year I, I actually remember the first year I remember as a kid. So that, I mean, that's probably why I like the show so much too, but I remember that summer. I remember set a drift on memory bliss. I remember oh, uh, just everything about that summer. That was like the first summer that I can, that I really met my neighbors for the first time. We were a couple of years older where we really started to play wiffle ball. Um, you know, the first year in my house, I lived in a trailer, you know, before that. And we had, gone from place to place before that and so we really settled down and um yeah that that summer was magical the only magic i'm missing is that tape of the very Ita <laughs> very italian mark marrow <laughs> and i believe the also italian pn news uh with teddy long on bet pn news yes. i think is polynesian right or at least part excuse me you're you're i believe you're right yeah all right chattanooga on the 30th through 1800 as johnny bad pin diamond's page and then he pinned Paul Lee. Wow. And a $500 challenge by Paige. It took Paige's money. Talk about Fox News. Remember when he got mistaken <laughs> for Ric Flair? On <laughs> yeah, and now people are saying he should have been cast in the Von Erich movie. So there wow. you go. Uh, Austin went to a draw with Scott Steiner. Cactus and Abdullah beat Van Hammer and Elegante. Dustin and Steamboat over Anderson and Eaton. And Rude over Sting by DQ. Well, was he the, the local promoter or something? <laughs> no, he's a job guy at the time, but he's Chattanooga, so he's he's local. Yeah. Wyndham was supposed to start back at the Omni on New Year's Day, but the doctors refused to release him. Well, the Omni drew a thirteen thousand dollar house and two thousand fans. Oof! As the Young Pistols beat the Patriots, Johnny Better or Billy Parker, son for Jushin Liger, who due to a mix-up in communications, was scheduled to return to Japan at Starcade when WCW thought he was staying through January the first. Steiners over Vader and Mr. Hughes, Elegante over Zbisco, Steamboat and Dustin over Anderson and Eaton, and Sting and Simmons over Cactus and Rude when Sting made Cactus submit. And we do need to note, they tried running the Omni twice in eight days. Uh, yes. Because they also right. and Christmas. I, and, and that gate is also bigger than what they had done. There were some disappointing Omni gates in 91. So even yes. though that was, a that was a disappointment compared to what they did eight days earlier, that was still bigger than what they... So, yeah, if you if you're looking at deductive reasoning, I, I think that's still a win. Yeah, yeah. they did thirty six hundred fans on Christmas. They had done 
6,000 February, uh, March. It doesn't say, but the first 3,000 kids in the door received a WCW mug. Oh, coffee for kids. Uh, coffee. Coffee level seats <laughs> priced at $5 a piece in April. Doesn't have the attendance. Uh, May was 2,500. Included PN News performing a rap for the crowd. 2,200 in June. There's got to be footage of that too. I'm I'm a PN News. The there's one thing I have professional jealousy, and it's it's Matt Cardona owning the PN News um, prototype Galoop figure. Yeah. I am a PN News super fan to to the max, and um, yeah, that's one wrestling memorabilia item I wish I had. They did do five thousand yeah. for the Bash Tour uh, closer in uh, August. Okay, but yeah, the the. Christmas was kind of an upturn, and then New Year's not so much. But again, they tried running the Omni twice in eight days. So. Yeah. All right, let's go to uh, Matt Watch. Paul Heyman, and shocking, it's involving Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman has been recovering from a bout with pneumonia. Heyman was already fighting the flu before his sinuses imploded during a flight this week. He made most of his dates until his condition worsened before the Omni show. But this just told him he should be able to return to full action this week. Eddie, when you talk to Steve. Oh, Paul's doing that directly. Uh, <laughs> Paul's talking to Steve directly. I, also, that's what that is. isn't it interesting when... The only time I ever heard of someone's sinuses, quote-unquote, exploding before this was Shane Douglas... <laughs> oh, it imploded, according to Steve, not well, exploded, yes, imploded. but still, the sinus is the empty space. I don't really understand how your sinuses can implode or explode. So so I can kind of guess who this wording came from here. <laughs> yes. Well, speaking of, Paul, let's go to the World Change of Wrestling the air before Starcade, where we have the State of the Dangerous Alliance. Oh, you did. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to TBS. Back on World Championship Wrestling from the center stage in Atlanta. A little bit later in the broadcast, as I mentioned, we'll show you that piece of videotape involving uh, what happened to Sting at the hands of the Dangerous Alliance. I'm sure that's one of the issues that you would like to address at this time. When I returned to World Championship Wrestling on October 27th, I vowed I would become the head of the board of directors. And the way to do this was to eliminate your top hero, Sting. Sting has been eliminated from World Championship Wrestling. First, we took his title. Then we took his spirit, because all the little stingers look up now and they say, you know, Sting, you're not half the man ravishing Rick Rude truly is. And now, later on in this program, you will see that Sting is no longer physically capable of wrestling here in World Championship Wrestling. You might as well go up north and sign a contract elsewhere where the physical demands are not like they are here in World Championship Wrestling. Sting! I was your judge, and the Dangerous Alliance was your jury, and they found you guilty, and your executioner was ravishing Rick Rude. Ladies and gentlemen, the men that eliminated Sting from World Championship Wrestling, ravishing Rick Rude and the Dangerous Alliance. Oh, 10 out of 10 theme song, Black Cat. And uh, the Dangerous oh, Alliance yeah. making their way to the uh, ringside uh, momentarily. Oh, you should see, I don't think... And there they are, ladies and gentlemen. JP. 
lethal do the Rick Rude walk. Oh my God. <laughs> Jay, oh. <laughs> Jay needs uh, to uh, bring the Rick Rude out because he's did, you know, he's done all his other uh, tributes and we need him doing that. That'd be awesome. Jay, Jay lethal can, he, he is the best. Re- he, the Rick Rude he does is 10 out of 10. The gigolo Jimmy Del Rey. <laughs> I don't mean to tell tales here, but uh, and well, I, let's let's hope he doesn't do everything that you go Jimmy Del Rey. <laughs> oh goodness, no, 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 no. Uh, but black the black cat the black cat ripoff uh-huh. is the best, and I'm still not sure. I know they were trying to sell the album, and he's simply ravishing, and uh-huh. there's some there's some hilarious rhymes in that song. But the the black cat ripoff was perfect for Rick Rude. It was. It was. It was. It was hip. It was at the, at the time. Yeah. It's great. All right. That's it. The the, uh, the vocal performance on Simply Ravishing is fantastic. Yeah, the, <laughs> the singing on it's good, but the music's not good. Or and nor are the lyrics. But it's definitely the worst song on that album. Not no. close. In no. right. mass, the entire dangerous alliance. Now I would like to stand out here today. Championship Wrestling has dropped to its knees, looked up at me, and said, yes, we will give the Dangerous Alliance a seat on the board of directors. But you see, Jim Hurd and everybody on the board of directors, they're not that smart. So we're going to have to not only eliminate Sting, but now the son of a drunken plumber from Austin, Texas, Dustin Rhodes, you're next. Ron Sting. No, son of a son of a plumber. <laughs> well, Simmons with a rap sheet this long from the neighborhood who represents the people. What people? The people in jail? You're next. Barry Windham with a broken paw who couldn't hold up his end of a former organization. You're next. And now. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat with the wife at home carrying the little baby. Ravishing Rick Rude has a personal message for you. Ricky Steamboat, the short distance you came from striking the first lady of wrestling was literally within an inch of your life. Ricky Steamboat, you have been warned. Now let me make this perfectly clear so that there's no mistake about it. Sting, Rhodes, Wyndham, Simmons. This war against World Championship Wrestling is not over until I have a seat on the board of directors and that there's a man in a white collar standing over the grave of World Championship Wrestling and he says Dominus Ominous Ignomini Patri Ifili Espirito Santum Amen Very strong comments ladies and gentlemen from the Dangerous Alliance carrying Mr. Root out on his shoulders. We have not heard the last of Sting. That piece of footage still to come in this hour. And we're going to have Cactus Jack momentarily. But first, this week's Top Ten. Ooh. We want to hear the Top Ten? Eh, might as well while we're playing it. Yeah. I got to say, though, Paulie giving his uh, 
Latin speech doesn't have the same zest without November Rain playing in the background. <laughs> and now here's a look at the WCW Top 10 Rankings in Singles Competition. Another promotion should bring these rankings back. Yeah, great. like a, one that starts with an R, maybe ends with an H or something like that. <laughs> hey, so... I'll tell you what, one of the most fun things we did in the Sinclair era was toward the end. If you're watching those pandemic era shows, we we did have a top five that we updated every week on week by week. And if you were in the top five and won three matches in a row, you could put your name in the hat for a title shot. You didn't always get it, but it was a nice wrinkle. I'll just there throw it out there. Yeah. yeah. Someone brings them back, though. They definitely shouldn't. I don't know. Like, do anything like pad people's records and squash matches and have them get title matches by <laughs> winning like 10 in a row against, uh, I don't know. Bill hey, you leave Island. my, you leave, you leave Bill after's apartment wrestling out of this. <laughs> I, 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 love, I love Bill. And I, and he's clarified that was definitely a Stanley Weston decision. Oh, yeah. oh yes. Well, the apartment wrestling, not the padding of the records. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure promoter Dave Maul had uh, something to do with that as well. <laughs> Compiled by members of the WCW Board of Directors. Oh, Board of Directors, not the Executive Committee or the Champ. Shouldn't it be the Championship Committee? <laughs> and promoters. Say that again? Well, it was about Board of Directors, so we're Board of Directors at this But point. it's the top ten. Shouldn't it be the Championship Committee? Same thing. What about the International Committee with Gary Juster representing the United States? <laughs> I'm sure Gary Juster was definitely on the board of directors, too. He was probably on all of them. I don't know if Dieter Kropp and uh, Christine LeBlanc were on all of them. For the weekend of Saturday, Travis, the Sim- Was it Travis Ushikawa as well? No, oh, uh, uh, Kensuke Ushikawa. Okay. Yeah. Uh, who I just saw last week at, at uh, AEW Collision, Ring of Honor tapings. Sonny Ono is my absolute favorite man in wrestling, but that's neither here nor there. He's a great, he's become a good friend of mine in a, one of those friendships I just did not expect to exist. So I love Sonny and I, I still can't figure out why he had seven names in the first five appearances. (laughs) Have you gone to Disney world with him yet? Uh, Not yet, but honestly, if Sonny Ono wanted to go to Disney world, I would go to Disney world with Sonny Ono. (laughs) We need cameras on that one. Yep. Number 28, holding steady at the number 10 spot for the second week in a row from the Rocky Mountains, Big Van Vader. In at number 9, the cruncher of the Dangerous Alliance, Larry Zabisco. Minnesota uh, spelled wrong, by the way. Of course WCW, it is. W, everybody. <laughs> Zabisco uh, might be spelled correctly? It is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, Zabisco spelled correct. Minnesota, not correct. <laughs> M-I-N-N-I. Minnesota. Incredible. I'm kind of surprised mountains is also spelled correctly. <laughs> These top tens would always have random abbreviations too. Like sometimes they'd put the state, they would spell it out, or they would do the abbreviation. North Carolina would fluctuate between NC, N period, C period, N period Carolina. It there was no consistency. Well, <laughs> also you have enough space to say Big Van Vader, but it just says Van Vader. Well, yeah, there, there was something around this time. Like if you listen to to Super Brawl 2, if uh, Beach Blast, all those, they really didn't decide on what they were going to call him until they absolutely needed to when yeah. he won the title. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, I mean, literally, you look at this, there's, an, like, Z- Larry Space Zabisco has either the same or more characters than Big Space Van Space Vader would, and yet they just ab- go with Van Vader. Wow. Well. 
the number eight man, the natural Dustin Rhodes. In at number seven, up one notch from last week, Cactus Jack. Ricky Steamboat continues to move. This week, he's at number six, the number five ranked man for the second week in a row, Scott Steiner. In at number four, once again this week, stunning Steve Austin, the world television champion, the number three ranked man, the dog-faced gremlin, Rick Steiner. Sting moves up to number two, and the number one ranked contender, the current U.S. heavyweight champion from Minnesota, Ravishing Rick Okay, so here Minnesota is spelled correctly. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Also, and I just realized. Okay. Yeah, I just realized we have two wrestlers with the first name Van in WCW. Van Hammer and <laughs> Van Vader. Yes. Yes. And we have the titles listed on the same line for Rude and Austin. Also, we have Ravishing Rick Rude spelled out all the way. But not yeah, Big Van Vader. <laughs> and of course, the WCW World Heavyweight Champion, the total package Lex Luger, and that's the top ten. Ladies and gentlemen, making his way to the ring area. So, also in this episode of World Championship Wrestling, there are problems in the York Foundation, as we mentioned uh, during the Starcade rundown. So let's go on to... Miss Alexandria York and Terrence Taylor and their issues. Kick there. Hesitation by Ryder. Got up very quickly with a drop kick, but Taylor now taking back over. There's a gut wrench and a power bomb. Taylor says five arm, and Miss York is saying neck breaker. They got him through the computer. Miss York wanted the neck breaker. Let's see if she gets it. Taylor does it his way with a five arm, and it was very effective. The winner of the match, Terrence Taylor. Well, Taylor did it his way, and it got a victory, and I guess that's what matters. Taylor, one of the many athletes at the Omni. This Wednesday night, 7.30, during Fan Appreciation Night. All upper-level seats, only $3. If you purchase them Wednesday at the Omni box office. And now I'll make my way to ringside to talk to Terrence Taylor and Alexander York. gentlemen with Alexander York and Terrence Taylor of the York Foundation and apparently there is uh, some sort of dispute as far as Mr. Taylor and this organization is concerned. There's no dispute, a little miscommunication. The York Foundation told Mr. Taylor to use the neck breaker. He chose to use the, uh, the five arm. I, I don't know. I was in there with my opponent and I thought it was time to use the five arm. I thought that's what time it was. It was time to get out. We do not pay you to think, Mr. Taylor. We pay you to do what we tell you to do, to follow our guidelines, and that's it. No thinking involved. Well, if that's the way you think, if that's the way you feel, why don't you your foundation, why don't you go your way and I'll just go mine. Wait a minute, wait a minute. We began this whole thing with you, Mr. Taylor. You're the charter member. You began it all. We've got time and money invested in you. As you know, there's a meeting tonight. If you will be so kind as to show up at that meeting and participate, um, maybe we can get things worked out. I'll be there. 
Well, I guess we'll have a meeting tonight, and I hope that we'll update you on that situation uh, next week here, ladies and gentlemen. And we'll be back with more on WCW from Center Stage right after this. Time out. Ladies and involved in some of these dates and some of these <laughs> business meetings. <laughs> yes, uh, he definitely would be there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. For the for those listening, uh, Alexandra York lowers her hair, and it's WCW at this time is so weird because they're strikingly progressive in some ways with how Missy Hyatt is always, you know, the battle of the sexes thing with Paulie during the summertime. And then um, some of the ways, you know, they, they treat Medusa as this like powerful, strong woman. They portray her oftentimes as the brain and the brawn of the dangerous Alliance. And then there are the other times when they take 15 steps backwards and, and, you know, they'll do stuff like this, which wasn't so bad, but then they'll have Nikita Koloff just take the head off Medusa for no reason just to get a reaction from the crowd. Um, I, th- I mean, the thing here is that Alexandra York is a businesswoman that she knows that I guess what the story is, is that she's using whatever it takes to, you know, achieve her, her business goal or whatever, you know, and <laughs> it's, it, I, I, I get, I guess in a way you would say it's, She's using her power. Right. She's got agency, which is it's it's so funny how wrestling almost gets that right so many times. Sable was so close. They, and we talked about it, I think the last time I was on. WWF almost got it so right with Sable, using her autonomy and power and agency. And then they just they just missed the mark. <laughs> they get so close. And this isn't this isn't the worst thing they would do. Like I said. Like some of the stuff with Medusa with Nikita in particular, I think in in the summertime of '92. Uh, but yeah, it's it's interesting because WCW, despite never really having a women's division at this time, and Medusa wrestled one or two matches, but they they tended to give women power, which was kind of in retrospect, it's really neat to see. Yeah, because it's not it's not Taylor, you know, saying, "Well, I'll stay if you." Right. Do, do this. She's doing this on her own volition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so. Yes. And of course, we know Terry Taylor would never say anything like that to anyone <laughs> in the wrestling business. <laughs> All right. Well, we, Ian talked about his love of PN News. Well, PN News involved in an angle on this show with one Mr. Hughes. So uh, let's uh, go to that clip, shall we? I wonder what he's here to say. Ladies and gentlemen, making his way into the ring area from Motown at 403 pounds, here comes P.N. News. The big man from Motown, he'll take on the Diamond Stud tomorrow night on the main event right here on TBS. They were involved in a big tag team matchup last week. Tomorrow it's one-on-one.
super heavyweights, and they're getting it on, ladies and gentlemen. Say that again. This big man slapping meat here. Yeah. These <laughs> these guys walked so that Keith Lee could <laughs> Keith Lee and Shane Taylor could run. Yes. I, I also yes, liked how uh, Hughes's dodge of news, like kind of charging at him and sending him into the rail, was like, uh, oh God, what was the who was the Yankees coach who got uh, Don, Don Zimmer? Zimmer. <laughs> Thank you. And who was it? Martinez. Thank you. <laughs> Just kind of like I can The only way I can describe it, even though it was a throw and not a hit, was he blooped him. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a gentle Olay. Like it's kind of like a like a like pulling the pulling the cape out of the way, but also guiding <laughs> guiding the bull's head into the. <laughs> but yeah, it, yeah. BN News basically got Don Zimmered into the guardrail. Anyways, and they're getting it on, ladies and gentlemen. Roll! Man, this is this he looks ran rematch. Face first know, into the seal. Mr. Hughes just rammed news right face first well, into the barricade. Like the the, uh, and now Henry right about the right eye. Well, that took a lot out of me. Axel Axel Rotten and PN News, so and Hughes oh, got right in the eye of PN News. Jack Davy Rich? He looks no. huge. No, it's not Davy Rich. That'd be somebody else. Okay. What a tragedy here at center stage. PN News uh, face rammed into the steel right in front of me. And uh, we hope to have a report on his situation before we go off the air. Without a doubt, as I mentioned, Mr. Hughes and Big Van Vader have their sights set on the Steiner brothers. Right. Hughes certainly. <clears throat> He looked like Here's he why this happened. Jit done something to his eye, though, because his eye did look like it was actually swelled. Well, let me get into that. Okay. The reason they did the TV angle where News had his eye run to the ring post by Mr. Hughes was because News had returned from England with a swollen shut eye, courtesy of an altercation in the bar with Rick Rude. News couldn't beat Rude with both arms against one in arm wrestling, and things got a hand. In reality, even though there are guys who look more, much more powerful, with the exception of Scott Norton, there probably isn't anyone in pro wrestling who could put Rick Rude's arm down. So, yeah, Rick Rude fucked him up. <laughs> okay, so his eye was already small. Okay, so they did a good He's job with this, though, because you don't really get a static shot of him with the sunglasses off until they're escorting him out. Exactly, yes. And he so, always uh, wears the sunglasses anyway, so it's nothing out of the ordinary that he came out in the sunglasses. 
So WCW were thinking on their feet. How about that? And huh? yeah, his eye is fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> Rude fucked him up. <laughs> Man, we're saying too many nice things about WCW. Is something has the holiday cheer right? <laughs> <laughs> well, they're starting to get good at this time. Yeah, this is incredible. We've only found one glaring thing: the Minnesota thing. Yeah. Dave's not sure the purpose of all this for the past two weeks on television. They've run angles where Sting held the Scorpion on Rude for a long period of time with all the bases making sure the hold wasn't broken. Yet Rude doesn't sell his leg at the pay-per-view. Then the day for the pay-per-view, Sting gets destroyed by the entire Dangerous Alliance on a hardcore angle, but the next day it isn't even acknowledged. Except it's pertaining to Marcus Bagwell, nor does Sting even appear to be shaken up for the incident. They don't run angles. They just fill TV time with incidents that means nothing as far as the arena or pay-per-view storylines. <laughs> All right, maybe I spoke too soon. <laughs> the fake crowd noise on TBS these past few weeks have been even more annoying than usual. See, it wasn't just WF doing it, folks. Well, and the then. thing with WCW though was to do it at center stage, where you can see the entire crowd in every yeah. hard cam shot. Yeah, it was just ridiculous. And they did it yes. for years. Now, doubling back real quick, I find that line from Dave very interesting. They don't run angles. They just fill television time with incidents that mean nothing as far as the arena pay-per-view storylines. Until Paul Levesque took over, that was one of my big complaints about WWE booking in recent years. That for a long time, they didn't really do angles anymore. Stuff just kind of happened. And... Yep. It's like I've never really seen anyone else raise that complaint about anything in the same way, but he's right. Like, you have these here, these have the structure of angles. It's almost in a way, it's kind of the inverse. It's not the opposite, where the it like it's kind of sort of an inverse of the WWE thing, where it's like these have the structure of angles more than a lot of those WWE segments did, but they're not being followed up on in any way. So, are they really angles? Yeah. Exactly. Just things happening. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. All right. As we continue, Eric Bischoff on the syndicated main event show aired a Liger and Oz with Hiro Saito and Scott Norton match, where Bischoff continually referred to Saito as Hiro Tetsuki. Now, granted, oh, it really doesn't no. make a difference to most people <laughs> viewing, but they sure, sure host that when you see college basketball games, the players, you have no idea who they are. The announcers don't have so little respect for their audience as to call players by the wrong name. After all, they could figure that they could get away with it because the majority of the viewers wouldn't know the difference. I'm just fascinated by the extra segment on syndicated main event that week being Liger and Oz versus Hiro Saito and Scott Norton from New Japan. <laughs> yeah. Hiro Tetsuki. That was the main difference between the two versions, right? Was that because of commercial time differences, syndicated main event had an extra segment, right? Correct. Yes. Yep. Jesus. All right, let's go to Torch. WCW TV shows in general continue to be more polished and interesting than any time this year. Although syndication can use an overhaul, including new graphics and music. Worldwide's logo still contains the old NWA symbol. It does? At that time, it did. I mean, in there, mixed in there. But that would oh, change. Oh, like, not like not at the beginning or the end of the opening, but, like, in the middle, there was still, like, somewhere in the montage, there was still an NWA graphic mixed in because they had no overall yeah. thing. Okay. Yeah. 
But it goes to what we were saying earlier, though, about how, you know, their production had stepped up in 91, you know, and it did. So, there's no one that. Jim Hurd purchased a WCB table for the next Cauliflower Island Bank in Los Angeles. When Luthez asked him who'd he bring, Hurd joked, maybe I'll invite McMahon. <laughs> well, Jim Hurd won't be there, so he ain't in the world. <laughs> well, I hope Gary... Go ahead. I hope Gary Chester went. Gary's <laughs> Gary's awesome. I hope they just sent Gary and Gary got to have a good time. <laughs> I hope Gary Jester just has a good time in general. He's, <laughs> he's another one of my favorite folks. So, yeah. but also it's in, it's interesting that he's saying this at this point because the previous cauliflower alley in Los Angeles was WrestleMania weekend in Los Angeles earlier that year, and there was yeah. something of a WWF presence there with Pat Patterson and others. At a time when that wasn't really a consistent thing, although that was also the Cauliflower Alley where, for some reason, someone deliberately gave Stu Hart bad directions to the hotel. So Stu had to miss Cauliflower Alley, even though he was looking forward to seeing Luthez and everyone else. Oops. Wrestling, everybody. Lex Luger has the entire month of January off in the clash at this point, with the exception of the Tokyo Dome show Saturday afternoon. Oh, why is that, Dave? Well, the next week was when it was announced that he was going to be leaving. So there you and go. The, and and it's explained that he they had used up most of the dates on his contract. There was an awful lot of speculation that Luger won't be around much longer, but it's hard to imagine anyone walking out on that kind of contract. Well, there's talk of power on Saturday morning switched to more magazine-style format show in early 1992. Nope, doesn't happen. As you can see, Harley Race is staying. We'll be managing Vader and Hughes and tag team match against the Steiners during January. He does. Mike Graham really is teaching Marcus Bagwell and Van Hammer at Jody Hamilton School on their off days. Wasn't helping him a whole lot. Steve Armstrong's trying to do his own Southern style singing as he did a concert this past Friday night in Sandy Springs, Georgia. Armstrong has just recorded a new album. Did yes, any of Stevie. this ever get released anywhere? Um. Mm, nah, really. I think he may. He was selling it at shows, I guess. Like if I look on Discogs, his um, I mean, he did the Southern Boy theme music from uh, Continental in their day, Continental days. That's the, that's him singing. So when the forty-five mem and this is goes out segment when the forty-five member strong Westfield High School in Oklahoma band was invited to the Peach Bowl in Atlanta. And fundraising in a town of a thousand came up short to send them. Jim Ross, the town's most famous citizen, donated money for the band to make the trip and then bought the entire band dinner on New Year's night, which got some publicity in the Atlanta Journal Constitution. Good old JR, Ian. Yeah, Jim, I, I love Jim. Jim, you know, they they say don't meet, you know, don't meet your heroes. I, I've been fortunate to have a really good relationship with Jim and with Tony working at AEW and doing the collision shows and rampage and even dynamite. Um, just Jr. you know, we talked about Mark Briscoe Jr. to me. Um, he was the first person I saw when I got to Lexington the night we did Mark Briscoe versus Jay lethal in the, in the Jay Briscoe tribute match. And he pulled me aside. He pulled me a caprice aside and he said, some things I'll never forget, and some are personal in a in a good way, in a profound, positive way. But the the thing he shared was to just let our feelings out, 
and to to make sure we be ourselves and to make sure that we we just we say how we're feeling throughout the night and there's going to be some catharsis for us but that others might find that same catharsis in the, in the thoughts we're feeling and the memories we're sharing and jim had shared some personal things about the night owen hart had passed away with us and about how he he navigated through that broadcast and um you know that that was a night you know almost a year ago where i really you know i had known jim and i'd worked with jim but i i gained a, a new level of appreciation for jim and how he made sure to meet with caprice and i and, and share you know 10 15 minutes just making sure that that we were okay just doing whatever our heart told us to do and it meant a lot to have that stamp on that show um, and to hear it from someone that unfortunately had to 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 go on and persist through some you know through some tragic moments absolutely yeah yeah i mean it, we're talking about someone who kept going on a pay-per-view after he found out during the pay-per-view that his mom has died and it caused him to start having a bell's palsy episode you know and we just yeah. talked about earlier he continued pay-per-views through kidney stones and all that on top of everything else so if yeah he can teach you from experience it's it's jr yeah and there's you know there there's a there's a big heart underneath that now now and are me and tony shivani maybe better friends and do i send threatening messages to his son about the georgia bulldogs and <laughs> how the phillies are going to beat the braves every year in the playoffs oh, until we boy, both, that, until we both passed story. away yes and, and did i did i send tony shivani into a rage uh the night that we did the collision in salt lake where nigel and i did it by wearing a phillies red suit and texting shivani while we were live on the air and he was standing right next to me uh, he wasn't in the broadcast table but he was standing with me about how the Phillies were about to to beat the Braves in the playoffs again. Yes. Uh, but I love Tony. I love Matt. And um, we, we have a lot of fun. And it's it's just incredible to two guys with really big hearts that are really that do look out for the next generation. I really, you know, I, I appreciated their work before, but I I've really got to know them and appreciate them as people. All right, let's go international now as Ian had to leave us because he had to do some Ring of Honor voice work. It'll be back later on in the show. Tokyo Sports came out with their 1991 awards. Jobo Shruta won Wrestle of the Year. Hulk Hogan versus Tenugrichiro won Match of the Year, which took place December the 12th. Tag Team of the Year was Masao Masao and Toshiko Kawada. Rookie of the Year was Masao Orihara. Most approved was Yoshi Kikuchi. And Best Brawler and Best Promoter was Asushi Onida. Hasn't Masao Orihara been wrestling for three years? <clears throat> Four years. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know what their criteria was. Yeah, I don't know what their criteria is, but like, even like he wouldn't fit. His first match was criteria. February ninety. February ninety was his first match. I thought he, so he was not in Revolution long then. No, I thought he started in at the at the tail end of the eighties. No, February ninety. February no. 22nd, 1990 was his debut. No, I'm looking at Cage Match right now. Okay, no, he was also... Okay, that's his first singles match. He was in a Battle Royal in November. <laughs> okay. That don't count. <laughs> okay. But still, why is he Rookie of the Year? Like, even by Observer criteria, I don't think this would count. 
I don't know. And yes, know. he's getting more of a little bit more of a spotlight in SWS. Although even then, he's not really pushed or anything until War. I don't. I don't know what the other candidates were. I, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know. I also hate that we're getting Tokyo Sports Awards here without the Dave analysis of the politics and everything. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, looking at these results, I mean, the only one I would really have any issue with is the match of the year. Jumbo was wrestler year 1991. Yes. Masao Kawada was the tag team of the year 1991. Yes. Um, rookie of the year, whatever. I mean, I don't know. Kikuchi was definitely up there for most improved. Um, and then Onito, best brawling promoters, I think pretty much says it all. I mean, they were drawing huge, you know, uh, attendances with no television. Yeah. So... 91 was the first Kawasaki Stadium show, right? I thought they went in 90. I could be wrong on that. I thought I, I, thought I remember if, one in 90. I don't know if I've ever watched Hogan Tenru. How is it? I mean, for a Hogan match at that time, it was excellent. <laughs> um, but there was so many more matches in Japan that year that were better. That's the thing. In all Japan and New Japan, notice, and notice no New Japan winners here, too, by the way. Because they're uh, battling at the time. It's Tokyo Sports, yes. Um, I mean, the main event the G1, I mean, would be match of the year, you know, in my mind, you know, for all, all that stuff. The first G1 climax. I mean, yeah. that was an am amazing moment, amazing match, everything in there. If you're going to put Hogan and Tenru on there for what it was, then the G1 smokes it in the same criteria. Yeah. Like, you could also say, um, whatchamacallit, Mudo Vader, but that didn't air on TV. And, and there are other All Japan matches if we're doing All Japan. Oh, I mean, Kawada Vader. Uh, not Vader. Why was I saying Vader? Kawada uh, Jumbo. Yeah. In October. Yeah. Jumps out. So. Um, and also that they're doing something that just happened too as the match of the year. Mm -hmm. Which yeah. oh, what do you think Dave gave Hogan Tenner? Uh, four and a quarter. One and a quarter. Wow. Well, that's Hogan at that yeah. time. Dave is. I don't know. Dave. Dave would use his personal bias a lot of times to affect star ratings. That's just the way it is. Yeah. What what a group of wrestlers on this card too, at the Tokyo Dome. Like you got the the young boys, including the future Kishin Kawabata in the opener. You've got your your uh, you know your usual like prelim SWS guys. You got Minoru Suzuki versus Wellington Wilkins Jr. Uh, you know more of your kind of just regular main you know roster guy tag matches. Funaki versus Jerry Flynn. Ultimo Dragon versus Jerry Estrada, Ashurahara and Davey Boy Smith versus King Haku and Yoshiaki Yatsu, the Takanos over the Rockers, Tay DiBiase with Sherry over Kerry Von Erich, Naoki Sano winning the vacant light heavyweight title, beating Rick Martel, Fujiwara over Ishin Riki with KY Wakamatsu, uh, the road, well, I guess they're called the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors here beating the natural disasters of Typhoon and Earthquake John Tenta, as he's announced, and the main event. So, 
it's so weird that you have WWF and shoot style together. Yeah. All right, well, let's go to the only group running during our week, All Japan. They opened up their New Year's series on January 2nd with the TV taping of Cork and Hall for a solid 2,100 fans. As they had a Kiritawe win in the Big Battle Royal. All Japan does a lot of things very well, and it's mm-hmm. the best main events in the world, but battle royals are one of the things they do very poorly. And that was a tradition that went decades. Um... Mitsuhamasan Kanakabashi beat Jumbo Shiruta and Masafuchi in the, in the real main event. Excellent match. In 24-36 for Kabashi Pinfuchi. Stan Hansen and Johnny Ace beat Shoshikakuchi and Toshakawada. The Wild Bunch, Joel Deaton and Billy Black beat Akira Tawe Yoshinara Agawa. Renegade Warriors won Chris Youngblood over the Fantastics. Tommy Rogers and Bobby Fulton. Giant Baba and Rush Kimura over Ruka Egan and Matoshi Okaba. Richard Slinger and Scott Armstrong over Mighty Inoue and Masao Inoue. And Jackie Fulton pinned the Samateri Nishi. So, interesting group of foreign foreign guys on the on this uh, tour here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, All Japan's deep roster at this time. Deep, deep roster. Dang's Five is definitely done here, though. No details as to what caused the breakup, and there was no public explanation. Stan Hansen's regular tag partner in 1992 will wind up being Johnny Ace. Which it was. Huh? <gasps> I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know what happens. Spivey comes back, and when he comes back, he teams with Hanson some, but he's not his regular partner again, basically. And also, that's when he really starts to break down. He starts grow- yeah, he's growing his hair out longer again, and yeah, he doesn't look, look the same, yeah. All right, that's it for Japan. Let's go to England. And we go to Sheffield on uh, December 30th for RGP promotions. Who's RGP? Uh, RNG promotions, I think. I can't remember what it stands for. They're in the Sheffield City Oval Hall. And we have Jamaica George over Barry Douglas. Big Daddy and Johnny Angel over Drew McDonald and Ian McGregor. And Chick Cullen went to a double count out with Danny Boy Collins. And they're a main event. Giant haystacks over Steve Regal by referee stoppage. Okay, so there's a few interesting things here. We have a Big Daddy tag match, and it's not on top. Mm-hmm. We have haystacks against Regal, and Re- I mean, Regal was kind of his touring opponent a bit, wasn't he? For haystacks. Yeah, they. they yeah, show? they they were linked together many times. And. Chick Collins versus Danny Collins is probably a hell of a match. Yeah, a lot of not good names on this show. Yes. No. Don't know much about Jamaica George or Barry Douglas, though. They worked know, a lot in this area. Emma, is Jamaica George the same guy as Jamaica Kid or someone else? Um, not positive on that, so I can't tell you. All right, let's go to Stampede Wrestling as we go to Canada. Former Stampede Wrestling oh, manager. Oh, he is. According to Cage Ranch, he is. Abu Wazal promoted what was built as the return of Stampede Wrestling to the Victoria Pavilion in Calgary on December 27th, although there was no involvement with the Hart family. Uh-oh. Well, that's because, as everyone learned in 85, Stu never trademarked the name. So that's how we had the all-new Stampede Wrestling in early 85 that lasted, what was it, six weeks? Yeah. So... 
Stampede Wrestling, without any of the backing of the Hart family, opened up on December 27th before 500 fans with a card rearrangement. Since main eventer Steve DeSalvo missed the show, and the main became a six-man tag with Bad News Allen, Champagne Jerry Morrow, and Gama Singh beating Mike Lazansky, Ben Basarab, Owen Hart's original tag partner when Owen was a rookie and very much an underpublicized Dynamite Kid style good worker, and Phil the Floor, because it's Stanford Prophet, Phil the Fawn. Basarab, a former Roy monster, who was busted and spent time for steroid distribution, was down below 200 pounds. Not a bad match. Going 20 minutes when Bad News pinned Basarab, and after the match, Basarab turned on both his partners. This was a January 10th show, headlined by LaFleur versus Basarab, and Bad News versus Chris Benoit. Also, Ron Singh, Monster Ripper in Japan, beat Desiree Peterson. Jeff Wheeler pinned Skull Mason. The Destroyer, Shane Croft, went to a draw with Ken Johnson. And Lin- Saint- Lenny St. Clair pinned Bob Bryan. That would, of course, be... Uh... Death, Japanese deathmatch legend Luther, the original death dealer, Lenny Sinclair. Well, I guess now he's just Luther the... What is butler. he, a butler? He's the butler. Timeless Tony's butler? Yeah. So, I mean, this is not a bad show on paper. I mean, the real way you know that there's no hearts involved is that Ben Basarab's on the card. Yeah. Because he's been on the outs with them for a while. Ever since uh, Allison left him. So, yeah. All right. So the rent for the building was twenty two hundred a night, which is why nobody has tried to return to the building for weekly matches since Stu closed the territory. At, at the first show, draws a crowd. They're talking about running shows every other Friday night. Well, this doesn't last very long. No. So twenty two hundred dollars, and this was this was December. That's. That sounds pretty steep for a building like the Victoria Pavilion. Yeah, which is not a huge building. No. So, I'm curious. I'm bringing out the inflation calculator. Yeah, that's almost $4,900 today. I mean, a sellout in that building at Stampede's heyday was what? 1600 Yeah, give or take. Listen, I mean, we we had Stampede Wrestling was like, you know, Florida wrestling and stuff like that, Mid-South, where people tried to come in and reignite the territory and just never had the luck that the original did. You know? Yeah. Let's go to Mexico now. Super Luchas have their awards. They gave out. Uh, Wrestler of the Year was Conan. Or Or as Dave calls him, Conan. Well, that's how he spelled it for a long time, yeah. Living Legend of the Year was Paraguayo. Lady Wrestler of the Year was Zulema. Referee of the Year was Grand Davis. Best Technico was uh, Atlantis. Miss Rudo was Satanico. Tag Team of the Year was Tony Arce and Volcano. Trio of the Year was Los Hermanos Dinamita. Cien Caras, Mascaño, Desmond, Universo Desmond. Newcomer of the Year, Mysterioso. Most popular wrestler was Octagon. Best foreign wrestler was Chris Benoit. One of the few awards that the CMLL-dominated magazine gave to a UWA wrestler. Dave Gascos Benoit totally outclassed all the foreigners CMLL brought, CMLL brought in this year. Best technical match was Atlantis vs. Blue Panther on television. The most emotional match of the year was Il Santa vs. Negro Casas, also a UWA match. And the feud of the year was Mascara Sagrada against Pedoff. 
Okay. Um. Well, Grand Grand Davis, of course, won. I mean, he would probably win anyway, but he had just died. In November. yeah, but he. I mean, he was probably the, the most famous referee at that time. Yes. Yes. But I mean, look at these wards. I mean, I wouldn't know about how UWA did because we. I mean, UWA didn't get on television till late '91. And we don't and, have most of the 91 TV anyway. That and, and, there's no, and, and of course, there's no AAA, so of course, it's going to be CMLL and UWA. Yeah. And CMLL is going to dominate the awards more often than not. So, not a lot of problem with these awards at all. No, I mean, all of these are fairly reasonable picks. Yeah. Um, trying to think if there's anything that really doesn't fit much and not really. You know, like those are all kind of the obvious picks for that year. Like, I guess if you were going to pick, if you're going to pick a CMLL match, well, EMLL at the time for a most emotional match. It is CMLL by this point? Okay. Basically, CMLL starts in September and the anniversary of show in 1990. Okay. That's when you really, I mean, it is, it's EMLL. Yes, it is EMLL. That's the promotion name. But it's, it's you know basically CMLL as far so as if like you were the, public, going to, the public name. If you're going to pick it's like AAA was AAA was always Promociones Antonio Payne. I know, I know. Okay, if you were going to pick an Arena Mexico match for most emotional for 1991, what would you pick? Since I I don't Probably think Mascar we have. Mascarano does Milanani ball. Mascarano does Milanani ball. I th- I think so. Yeah. The mass match. That was the one I was thinking of too. Now Sagrada and Petoff, I'm I'm the Pet- Oh you wait a second, actually. When was Conan Pero Mask match? I don't think that was ninety one. Wasn't that ninety? No, because he has the mask at Starcade. And I don't think he had lost it in Mexico. March twenty second, ninety one, you're right. Okay, so you know what actually, yeah, that would that should be the pick for most of yeah, match um, of the year. Yeah. Yeah, thinking about it. I mean, the whole thing with them bringing out the kid that they say is Conan's little brother to unmask him, and yeah, I would, and, and I would probably put Conan and Perov probably as feud of the year, possibly over Sagrada and Perov. But yeah. All right, let's go to the results for our week here. Arena Coliseo. This is a time where they're in Arena Coliseo exclusively because Rimenko has a circus going on. Hmm. 27th, we have La Diabolica, Montevilla Lobos over Miss Janeth and Pantera Serreya. Esprechito and Pelotito Morgan over Aguilita Solitaria and Mascarita Sagrada. Wait a second. I don't think she's Miss Janeth yet in 91, is she? Yes. I thought that was Uh, the thing Pena added in AAA. No. Okay. Uh, Blue Demon Jr., Ildo Solitario, Mono Negro over Ildo Gladiador, Tony Arce and Vacano. Black Magic, Oracan Sevilla and Super Astro. Over Commando Russo, Hombre Valle, and Perov. And Nadande, Conan, and Vampiro over Herodes, Lafiera, and Perata Morgan. Then on the 29th, from Ricasio, we have the Caifanes, not Caifanes Roqueros, over Escudero Rojo and Reyes Villos. Olimpica, Lady Apache, and Lolo Gonzalez over La Diabolica, Montevilla Lobos, and Pantero Sanreña. Arcana de la Muerte, Attila, and Buffalo Savaje over Rocambole, the 90s version. Solar 2 and Super Tomo. Gogole El Sotan, Gran Sheik, and Hombre Bala of Amano Negro, Muguer, and Solar, and Anibal, Black Magic, Noma Smiley, and Vampiro over Hakimate, Kung Fu, and Masacre. 
We got Mogir and Solar together as a team. UWA, they ran Torreo, Cocho Caminos, on December 29th. Momotaro, Ricky Boy, and Zeus over Celestial. El Samurai and Ninja Sasuke. So you got a lot there. Uh, a lot of Japanese uh, guys in that match. Of course, uh, Ninja Sasuke being Sasuke. El Samurai being Samurai. You know, and then you got uh, Momotaro. Who is uh, uh, Super Delphin, right? Yeah, Super Delphin. I so, think so, right? Yeah, it's Super Delphin. Yeah, it's Super Delphin. Okay. Yeah. Then we got the uh, the Turtles, Ninja Turtles, Los Tentigos Karatecas, one, two, and three, and four, over Engendro and Demito and Scorpio Senior and Junior. The, uh, these these matches I'm going to do now. These are all on YouTube, so. You can watch these on YouTube. Okay. Then you got Celestial, Fantasma, and Psychedelica over Black Power. El Signo Negro Navarro by disqualification. Gran Hamana and Viano Tercero over the Headhunters. And then this match isn't on YouTube for some reason. Fishman, Negro Casas, and Rambo over Ildo Santo, Tinebles, and Tinebles Jr. You know, by the way, it hurts my heart whenever we do these results and you call them the Ninja Turtles when they are clearly the Karate Turtles. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. See if they so, were Ninja Turtles, that would be that would be trademark infringement. But they're oh, Karate well, Turtles. They well, would never do anything like that. Well, or or Hero Turtles if you're British, because we can't have ninjas in the nineties. No. All right. Well, that is it for the first half of the show. It's halftime. So some great 1991-ish commercials, because I don't know if it's going to be 91 <laughs> or 92. We'll put it at halftime seven of the show, where we're talking about our new Patreon show. We'll uh, talk about our streaming friends, and then we'll hit the plugs and come back where we have the U.S. indie scene to talk about. We have a promotion coming back to life. We got one uh, trying to get better television. We got some interesting stuff going on in Memphis, and the best match to date in the Global Wrestling Federation. All that more after the break. When we return, you'll still be trapped in the Twilight Zone Marathon. Hey, I love this Chevy Geo Wintertime. And you're going to love it, too, because right now you can get a new Chevy Cavalier for as low as $86.69 and no payment for 90 days. That's New York's number one selling domestic small car with an automatic transmission and anti-lock brakes for as low as $86.69 and no payment for 90 days. This wintertime is a hit. It's wintertime at your local Chevrolet Geo dealer. It's the best part of the day. You put all your cares away. Get ready for a smile on your face. It's just Look for special Columbia House offers this month in selected magazines, newspapers, and your mail.
Don't forget the big screen TVs. It's January clearance time at the Wiz, and the warehouse is jumping. We're moving all our merchandise into our stores before inventory. Get the camcorders on. Everything's going. Every brand, every model. Everything from VCRs to cellular phones, video movies, cassettes, and compact discs. The best thing is we're slashing prices on hundreds of items. We want to sell them, not count them. The January in-store warehouse clearance sale. Nobody beats the Wiz. Channel 11 wishes you and your family a happy and prosperous New Year. Coming up next, as the Twilight Zone Marathon continues, Robert Duvall stars as a shy and lonely bachelor who discovers a kindred spirit in an enchanted doll. Stay tuned for Miniature, next. Alright, we're back. Hope you enjoyed all those great... 1991 or 1992 commercials. As we have to have time seven the show, we'll begin talking about Patreon. Patreon.com slash Twin Sheets. And yes, we have a new Patreon show out. As we are discussing uh, the Von Ericks and their, uh, I don't even know what we're, we're really to call this show. <laughs> I, uh, the, the, the name, I haven't uploaded yet as we're recording this, but the, the name I put in the file that I think I'm going to use is like the Von Ericks up close, I think. I just, it, I, I don't know. I'm about to come up with something. I mean, it, I, I mean, I guess we could just use the the name of the D Magazine article and go with the fall of the House of Von Eric. I don't know if I want to infringe on somebody else's. Yeah, that's deal. the other thing. I don't know if I want to do. Um, I don't know. We'll figure something. But the Von Erichs, sure. Yeah, yeah we, so we Von Erichs recording uh, uh, since we record, you know, recorded the intro to this show. It's a Von Erich show, and it's about uh, various magazine articles, newsletter stuff about, uh, you know, the last part of the 80s or in early 90s and even in the 2000s involving the Von Erichs, you know, basically starting with D Magazine, its article, and then going to uh, Penthouse and their article on that, which coincide with each other on the family. After Mike's suicide, Carrie Von Erich's interview with a teenage John Clark at Wrestling Flyer, and then John Clark getting reactions from various people after Carrie's death. We got um, Ken Von Erich doing an interview with Provost and Illustrated, which is extremely interesting and very, very, you know, un <laughs> I mean, different from Provost and Illustrated because it's, um, you know, not kayfabe. I mean, well, it's a real interview. I mean, most of the time, yeah. they weren't even in kayfabe. There wasn't even an interview conducted. It was just something they made up. Yeah. And uh, another interview with Kevin from the 2000s. So, uh, yeah, just a, a, a lot of stuff going on in this show that uh, you probably never heard of before. And it's a way for us to talk about the Von Erics, you know, in a light that is different from what other people talk about the Von Erics. And trying to let's mix is trying to you know humanize them so to speak you know so th i think this show is was a fantastic show and something that uh everybody needs to listen to and to do that you put five dollars a month down and get on the patreon patreon.com slash twin sheets and listen to this g great stuff you know i'm not just saying that because it's our show i'm saying it's a hell of a fucking show so yeah do that. Also, um, 
You can look at this and all the other great stuff that we put up there in our seven plus years of the Patreon. And there's a lot of stuff. So, uh, well worth that $5. You could also put a dollar down and become a pa patron and get access to the Discord, and you'll get thanked in the seventh, which we'll do in just a few minutes. $25, I should pick a show for the week. Now, I have two shows in mind on that because a show that you may want us to do, maybe something we've already done, or it could be something that somebody else has picked on the calendar. So, uh, get with me and Bix. If you want to uh, ask questions about your show and uh, follow the protocol on the Patreon website, do that, and we'll be able to try to get your show on the air. Also, remember, you have the 30-day rule in effect. Get that information 30 days for your show. 10-year rules in effect. Wednesday, Tuesday, on timeline, all that good stuff. And if you do that, we should be able to take care of you. Then we have the $50 tier, which you put $50 down. You can be sitting for a seg segment of that show. And then a hundred, you can sit in for the whole show. You don't have to. It's just part of the perk at patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, folks. Who had this week is our new and or returning patrons. Do you need a sip of water while we do this? You sound a little parched. No, I'm fine. Okay. I was trying. I, I got like a, um, you know how sometimes that you, you think you might have a hiccup coming? Yes, 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 yes. And it doesn't do that. It just mm -hmm. it goes back down. Yeah. I was battling battling with that as I was trying to talk. <laughs> it's gone away now. All right. Well, got a few here. We would like to thank uh, Derp Derpington. Hey, for uh, that name's been mentioned before in this segment a few times. Thank you, Derp. Yes. Then we got uh, Lucas Carl. Thanks, Lucas. With a yes. lid off. Wait, what? <laughs> Lucas with a lid off. You ever heard of that? No. Really? No, I don't know what you're talking about. Lucas with the lid off. That was a song by uh, Lucas Sikon. Huh? It was out in 1994. It was, he's a Danish rapper. Sure. Now well, you look this don't up. you come at me with no damn like, eccentric music takes. <laughs> You of all people cannot do that, but go ahead. Uh, oh, wait. What do we got here? Ooh, I've been practicing in my mind. What about Catch the vibes, the back and the back time. Catch the vibes, catch the vibes. Because it's Lucas with the little. Catch the vibes, catch the vibes. Because it's Lucas with the little. No, no. He don't remember that at all, huh? No. I am older than you, so there you go. Yeah. Okay. So, thank you, Lucas Carl. Uh, Dennis St. James. Wasn't he a uh, some type of uh, announcer somewhere? No, that's Dennis James. Oh, oh, I'm thinking of Rick St. James. The guy that announced with Bobby Jaggers and uh, in Puerto Rico. No, but there was but also thanks. Dennis James too, wasn't Dennis, was Dennis James? The, the game yeah, show host that was also a wrestling announcer. Yeah, of course. But I'm saying I think it was Rick St. James is the one that announced with Bobby Jaggers or Caribbean Championship Wrestling. Yes. So there you go. Thank you, Dennis. Then we've got Addie Claudette. Thanks, Addie. And then he finally took the plunge with an annual subscription. Danny Cookler. Hey, Danny. 
which now I cannot say his name again for another year. <laughs> well, he would have to cancel and then redo it for you to say his name next year, though. Yes, you're right. But Danny, thank you, Danny, for your annual uh, subscription yeah. to patreon.com slash between the sheets. So there you go. All right, so we take all you new patrons, old patrons, patrons that have been there from the beginning, patrons that have left that come back. We thank everybody for your patronage at patreon.com slash trendysheets. All right, Bix, it's the new year, so uh, what's going on in the world of IWTV and Triller TV? All right, well, the rest of all is only getting started as we're recording this, <laughs> but it's happened by the show, by the time the show is out. Well, or at least for that, the most part, because the show should come out right as heavy on the ground as ending. But uh, before we get into the live streams for this week, though, uh, night two of or day two or whatever the hell it's called on here of Wildside Fright Night 2002 went up on IWTV because yeah. uh, they had put up the first half a few weeks ago. I'm guessing this one is just a straight up TV taping based on how the matches are laid out. But what a group of wrestlers on this show in the matches they're in. Blackout with Jeff G. Bailey against Dory Funk Jr. and Adam Windsor. Of course. Dory Funk Jr. and Adam Windsor against Rick Michaels and Chris Michaels. The, the Lost Michaels. Bo- yes, Lost Boys against the Backseat Boys. Scotty Run and Tank against Future Shock. Iceberg against Stone Mountain. Scott Cage versus BAD with Taylor Maid. Tony Mameluke and Onyx against Mark and Jay Briscoe. John Phoenix. Yeah, in this period, definitely. John Phoenix with Jeff G. Bailey against Jason Cross. Scotty Wren and Tank against TNT against the Backseat Boys in the three-way. And Rain Man with Jeff G. Bailey against Rick Michaels. Yeah, quite the crew. Yes. Now, coming this week in live streams... Probably the big one of the week is what we're starting off with. That's Friday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Prestige Wrestling coming from Portland with Prestige Roseland 7. For a show that includes uh, for the Prestige title, Alex Shelley. Defending in a four-way against Alan Angels, Kevin Blackwood, and Chris Sabin. Uh, okay. It says Prestige Championship, and then it says the Prestige Wrestling Championship. Oh, it's the tag titles. Okay. The Dallin. Well, he has, a, he has a lot on his plate this week, in fairness. Uh, so, okay, tag title C4, defending against Hitter and Saint. Uh, Josh Alexander taking on Tim Thatcher. Leo Rush against Samurai Del Sol. The Workhorseman against Midnight Heat. Uh, some of your locals, uh, Willow Nightingale, Sandra Moon, and more. Oh, Sky Blue against Liza Hall. So... Usual mix of your locals and your various outside names and whatnot from Prestige there. And, uh, oh yeah, and that's coming a day after Wrestle Kingdom, too. Which, that snuck up. Yes, it did. So. Yeah. Anyway, we, uh, we stay in the Pacific Northwest, because Saturday at, uh, 10.30 Eastern, DOA has a show that's live-streaming. That includes uh, Tim Thatcher against Sonico, Sandra Moon against all caps Jaden, not to be confused with Jaden Newman. Uh, they have their own. They have their own pure title with Drake Kwan defending against Kevin Blackwood. 
and uh, various other locals and whatnot on the undercard. So, two uh, Pacific Northwest shows this week. That that feels like a first. Yeah. So it's it's been nice to see the way that scene has come together lately, though. Well, I mean, they're doing everything the right way, I guess. You know, to be uh, relevant and have good, you know, good shows. And they got a bunch of different promotions that are doing well. You got Prestige, you've got TOA, you've got SOS, you have uh, NEW in Vancouver, and, and I think there's a bunch I'm forgetting. Like, like honestly, you know, oh, of course, you know, we're going beyond IWTV and whatnot. You know, we got Defy, you know, like, I think there's a strong argument that right now, and probably at least for the last year or so, if not more, the Northwest is probably the strongest indie region in the country. Yes, I would agree with that. They seem to draw well. They they mix in the names with the locals well. You know, it's just it seems like a very healthy, vibrant scene right now. So that's that. And then uh, over in the southeast on Saturday, we got it uh, eight Eastern TWE in uh, Red Bank, Tennessee, with. Barbed Wire Baptism. Headlined by Barbed Wire Match uh, with Jaden Newman taking on Suge D. So none of your usual uh, guys that would be in the type of match, so there you go. No. Oh, definitely intriguing to see what those two do in that kind of setting. And uh, that's it for IWTV this week, so if you're not already a subscriber... Go to independentwrestling.tv, sign up using code BTSPOD, and uh, we'll get a referral fee in each one as long as you stay a paid subscriber. So, independentwrestling.tv, code BTSPOD. Now on, uh, what do we call it? What is it? Triller TV powered by Fight? I don't know. I thought you said it was Triller TV, so that's what I started going with. It is Triller TV, but now they're, they're, I saw on the Twitter and in the logo now, they have powered by Fight. Too busy. Uh, yeah, I agree. So, this has happened already by the time the show is out, but announced on a few days' notice the day we're recording this, uh, the New Year's Eve uh, All Japan show is live streaming on Fight as part of a deal that, uh, that Fight made with the Sky Perfect TV in Japan. So that's the show that is being headlined by uh, Katsuhiko Nakajima defending the uh, Triple Crown against Kento Miyahara. And also features uh, a Linderman defending the uh, junior title. You know, various names from... I don't even know who you consider an outsider in some of these promotions anymore anyway. <laughs> Especially now that New Japan's working with everyone again, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we... Uh, David Boy Smith Jr. reuniting with Minoru Suzuki and teaming with the Hokuto Omori against uh, Koei Suwama, uh, Deki Suzuki and Karasato, and then, yeah, among other matches. So definitely going to try to check that out. So, yeah, that's, I believe, the time, as I'm looking, I mean, well, obviously it's going to be on demand by the time people hear this, but I believe it starts, like, right as uh, World's End is ending. So that's that's going to be a long day. I mean, it's going to be a long weekend period with Restival and GCW and everything. For some people, it will be. 
Well, not you. <laughs> no, I, football. It's going to be a long weekend for football for me. <laughs> wow. Ton of football this weekend, yes. Anyway, what else? I'm not going to go too in-depth on all of these. Uh, Future Stars Wrestling has a show. Uh, or no, had a show already. The, I looked at the dates wrong. Oh, Santino Brothers has a show uh, this week. Um says it's a live... Again, I don't always know if these are actual live streams or if they're um, tape delays from a day or earlier or whatever, but they've got a show. It says on the 3rd. It's, yeah, it's 7.30 p.m. Eastern, so that's got to be a show that happened like a day or two earlier. And uh, Hood Slam's got a show, but nothing too eventful coming up this week on the live stream. Fight, so... Uh, tinyurl.com slash btsfite for that and you can also use that for their iPay-per-views as well alright well today's episode of Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access America's number one virtual private network even if you use incognito mode your internet service providers are storing your browsing data meantime even selling it but private internet access can help Private internet access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic to one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet source provider or network administrator. It was servers in over 75 different countries. You can get unrestricted access geoblock content from around the world. Private internet access comes to use use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a raw side privacy policy, open source security, advanced customization settings, which is ranking the fastest VP in the world by PC Mac. If you sign a private internet access right now, you can take advantage of especially only for Between the Sheets listeners. Let's go over that, shall we? We have three different options for you guys. You got a yearly, a, a monthly option. Let's go that first of eleven ninety five a month. Yearly, you can get that down to three dollars thirty three cents a month for thirty nine ninety five a year, or you can go for the number one. Three years plus four free months at a dollar ninety eight a month. Seventy nine dollars for the first two years. Yearly thereafter, eighty three percent off. An amazing deal. Why is that? Because it's so much more inexpensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. If you get it right now, you can take advantage of private internet access 30-day risk-free challenge. Try it after a day, see if you like it. If not, just return it for a full refund. How you get that, you ask? Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets and try the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk-free. All right, next week on Between the Sheets. Yes, Bix uh, got the surprise at the end of the show. We're going back to the 2000s. 2001. Where we'll be talking about uh, the end of an era, basically, as ECW runs their final pay-per-view. Guilty as charged. So we'll have news on that. Full rundown on that show. Plus, we'll have uh, news on the future of ECW. You know, and possible television deals and what have you. Some of the stuff you've heard before on Patreon shows. Same thing with WCW, where we'll have news on their purchase, their possible purchase and sale and TV and stuff like that. So uh, we'll also have Thunder and Nitro as well to talk about. So you have some wacky television as well and some other wacky WCW everybody moments. So there's that. New Japan, Wrestling World 2001 at Tokyo Dome, a big show. So we'll have that as we have Riki Choshin and on that show. We got the IWGP Heavyweight Title Tournament on that show. So a lot going on, kicking off a wild year of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Plus, it's Golden Week, so we have all the other uh, Japanese promotions firing it up. 
So I have plenty of uh, results from from the, those shows to talk about. We got an interesting Wait, article. That's not Golden Week. Golden Week, May. That's right, New Year's Week. I don't know why I said Golden Week. New Year's Week. Um, I think I said it on the on the plug at the end of the show too. Um, so New Year's Week. Uh, we have an interesting Canadian uh, article in the Hart family, and uh, what's going on with their live. And of course, uh, it's not good. <laughs> There's some division here at this time. We got Lucha stuff to talk about. We got Puerto Rico running their Dia de Reyes shows during the week. IWN, WC. We got US Indies. And we got the World Wrestling Federation where Vince McMahon does an interview with Playboy, which is a new stance during our week. So we'll have news on that. We'll have an update on the current writing team situation. And yeah, we got two uh, Mondays during our week, which uh, Bix loves. Uh, so we have two episodes of Raw with a smackdown in the middle. Only one Nitro, though, because of the uh, year in the show. Yes, and just what is that plug about tough enough on WWF television? So we'll have news on that and so much more next week on Between the Sheets. No guest. That is a loaded show. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R, show proper at BT Sheets Pod, Bix at David Bix. And Bix, I mean, uh, 2023's now over with as people are listening to this show. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was like a, a wild year of wrestling, as we mentioned earlier on with Ian and talking about how I'm dreading 10 years down the line when people are going to want us to do all these shows and stuff. But uh, what are your thoughts on how wrestling ended up in 2023? Are there is there like a cage match rating for wrestling in 2023 that I can go by? <laughs> I mean, just think. I mean, so just think about how if if you would have told us at this time a year ago where we would be at now in wrestling. I mean, how crazy would that be? We're we're in a we're in a world of wrestling where we where Vince McMahon has no power. We're in a well, world of rest. Well, a year ago we were there too. It's just that things well, changed and changed back and changed again. Well, <laughs> he always had power <laughs> in that time period, basically. Well, no, he could have always had power because of the voting shares. Yes, exactly. And then he exercised that. We had all the CM Punk drama and CM Punk returning to WWE. Um. And just all the stuff that's happened over this past 12 months. I mean, this is definitely one of the most newsworthy years of wrestling I could never remember. Yeah. Well, I mean, WWE got sold. or Yeah, I mean, WWE sold. Absolutely, yes. I guess acquired is the better way to put it, because no one understands. Merged. But still, yes. I mean, it's just insane to think about what 2023 was in wrestling and with the UFC and all the maneuverings with Vince being in and out and now completely out uh, outside of just, you know, being the being kind of a figurehead who's involved with negotiating Saudi deals or whatever the hell it is. Yeah. You yeah. Know? It's a wild, wild time in wrestling history. And, I mean... and now who knows what the, what's going on with WBD. Yeah. Yeah, there's that. yeah, because we still have 
one, the WWE's TV show's still up in the air. And as far as uh, getting a new TV contract. And, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's some, and you got big names coming up as free agents in 2024. Yeah. I'm, I mean, all around the world, because, I mean, Okada, you know, I mean, who knows? I mean, it's. He hired Barry Bloom. Yeah, so. Yeah. yeah now <laughs> it's gonna be a crazy year again. Now WWE is working with all Japan. <laughs> yeah. Again. Uh, I mean, also look at where we were a year ago, where January had both WWE and AEW sending talent to Noah. Yeah. You know, for the both for the Muda retirement matches. Yeah. You know, so I mean, that was, I think, a sign of what this year would be too. And then there was the initial Vince craziness with the hostile takeover, whatever you want to call it. And yeah. just so, yeah, a lot went on. I mean, uh, CM Punk may or may not have assaulted Tony Khan. Yeah. I feel like I'm forgetting something that should be jumping out at us though. I mean, there's a lot, a lot that happened. So like I said, it's going to be, uh, Something else in 10 years. Too. Oh, like, oh, Ring of Honor on Honor Club started, and then... Well, also the end, uh, the, the end of the print Wrestling Observer. Oh, <laughs> yeah, which happen. we haven't really talked about, have we? No. Uh, and then it took that to, for them to finally start offering the PDF in the print format. <laughs> so, yeah. Which people have been asking for for years. So, yes, a lot... A lot going on, a lot will continue to go on. Uh, you know. Oh, we had Wembley. We didn't talk about Wembley this year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, WWE with their various stadium shows. Uh, WWE moving most of their pay-per-views to Saturday. Yeah. Which changed a lot of things. Uh, collision, you know. Most, I think pretty much all of them. Uh, except for NXT, maybe Ransom's. But all of the main shows are on Saturday now. Yeah. Well, WrestleMania. Moving most of WrestleMania, night, WrestleMania Night 2 is on Sunday. Well, yeah. So. I, gotta, I gotta say, too, like, I mean, for both companies, all of the companies, I greatly prefer the Saturday shows. Oh, yeah. It's just so much better. <laughs> Absolutely. So, anyway, there it is. So, uh,. Let's get back to the rest of the show. Let's move on now to the U.S. indie scene, and we start with the UIW, the Universal, Universal Independent, Independent Wrestling. Yes. And we go to Matt Watch. Four months after being given up for dead, Universal Independent Wrestling is back in business with top stars. I'm going to use that word. Axel Rotten, Neil Superior, and Rasa the Voodoo Man. The Baltimore-based promotion lost its slot on net affiliate WJR in September after a championship tournament in which a promoter's car was reportedly turned over by the wrestlers, who were told in intermission they would not be paid for the evening. <laughs> Sources close to UIW have told Matt Wise the promotion will be back on commercial TV in January. The group is negotiating for and will likely gain the 8 to 9 a.m. time slot on Saturdays on WNUV Channel 54 one hour before WCW Worldwide. The promotion reportedly has a fresh infusion of capital from a new investor. UIW returns to the air approximately one month for the startup of Baltimore area's new wrestling inter- independent network, which features some UIW performers in crossover roles like Rasta, Neil Superior, the Lords of Darkness, and 
the cream team. I remember this stuff being talked about in Pro Wrestling Illustrated. These Maryland promotions, you know, being around here this time. UIWWIN. Yeah. Both of them had some aspirations of sorts. Um, WIN is the one that Ed Zotton was involved in, right? Yes. And is Neil Superior's dad involved in either of these? Or any of these at this point? I would think so. Because Neil Superior, Neil Karakoff, his dad, Dick Karakoff. Um... Because I know, I think, like, WWL or whatever it was was Dick Karakoff, but I don't know if he was also involved in, like, these aspirational startup promotions, too. But uh, if I remember right, UIW does not last long after this infusion of capital. No, no, and no. WIL won that little battle there. It's not that that lasted long, either. Although no. the WIN shows, I believe, are all, the, much of the TV is on YouTube. Staying with Matt Watch, South Atlanta Pro Wrestling is testing the waters for syndication beyond the Carolinas. With Manny Fernandez at the helm, a number of stations, including Steve's own WBBJ in Jackson, Tennessee, was sent fast as the survey interest. Well, this period is kind of the last gasp of South Atlantic, right? But the problem is, is they're losing their top young star because we just played uh, his vignette <laughs> as he's gone to the World Wrestling Federation, Chris Chavez. You mean we're playing his vignette later, wink, wink. That's right, later. Excuse me. Sorry, I forgot where we were at. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, really, South Atlantic is is Manny and Wahoo and Pistol Pez Watley and some young guys, but no nobody that's, like, standing out. But they do get Patriot for a bit after yeah. he's done with Global. yeah. Or but, towards the end of his global run, at least, because he wasn't living in Dallas, and he's a Carolinas guy. But yeah, this—I mean, this is not a good time for them to try to get syndicated TV at the time of this of their promotion, and they're—they're they're dead, you know. What year later? I, they're dead before '93. Yeah, so sure. just trying to overstep your boundaries. Well. There was one territorial replacement promotion that was not trying to overstep its boundaries. ICWA ran uh, the sports tournament in Tampa on January 2nd. We had Jimmy Backlund going to WDQ with Pat Tanaka in a steel cage match. Came to a clean finish in the cage on this show. Star Rider over Alan Iron Eagle, Joe Gomez. Terminators over Rico Frederico and Hurricane Walker. Tex Salinger over Kenny Kendall. And Coconut Man over Jungle Jim Steele. Wow, that is a show with wrestlers on it. And speaking of prom promotions, that was covered by the Aftermags, ICWA. Yes, uh, almost shockingly extensively, <laughs> the ICWA. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <sighs> Jimmy Backlund and Pat Tanaka. Those are two interesting human beings. <laughs> Quite a match there. Yeah, I'm sure they had a good match, too, but, yeah, and then, who else do we have here? I, any idea who the Terminators are here? No idea. Coconut Man is someone we know, right? Um, 
It may be, but it's going to come to my mind, so... And he's, he's headlining. Well, that's, no, it's in reverse. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, okay, right, uh, cage match. Um, I, I, I thought about making an Alan Iron Eagle joke, but I won't. Well... The joke writes itself with him, so there you go. Yes, well... I mean, it's Tampa, so figure out the joke yourself. All right, uh, let's go to Memphis now, USWA. And we go to the Torch. Start off. The planned Jeff Jarrett heel turn has obviously been scrapped. Although Lawler versus Jarrett matches are probably inevitable. If you watch the TV in late 91, they're doing this thing with Jeff... Where Jeff, you know, wants to be a he wants to be a singles guy. Uh, he wants to be fight going for the world title, and and they were doing it that way. And you could see where that possibly could lead to him turning. Mm-hmm. But the Moon Dogs come in, catch fire, and Jeff and Jeff is programmed with them first with Robert, and then uh, him and Lawler for. The bulk of the of the year, basically. It isn't until later in the year that he starts uh, working against Brian Christopher. Hmm. But um, it would have been interesting to see them do a, a heel Jarrett 92 against Lawler in Memphis. Really interesting. You know, I mean, I, I don't know how, I mean, I would have been curious how they would have did business-wise. Hmm. Because they didn't turn Jeff in Memphis. I mean, when he let, I mean, he was, when he left the WWF, he was still babyface. Now, he would do some, a couple of heel things later on, but in that first run, he's never a heel in Memphis. Hmm. I thought it started a little back, bit before he left, but I guess I was wrong. Well, no, no, he was the fabulous one, Jeff Jarrett, and doing that stuff, but no, he was not. He was, it was looking like it was going to go that way, but he goes to WWF. Where he becomes a heel. So I guess they were maybe doing the, the setup in, in Memphis and then him going full heel on WF television. Maybe. But anyway, Mid-South Coliseum on December 28th. Saw Coco Beware over Tony Williams. Dirty White Boy Tony Anthony over Tom Bass. Brian Christopher turned heel on television on the 21st. Beat the Candyman, Reggie B. Fine, who's Bayface here. Bar Sawyer with Doug Masters and a strap on a pole match. Tom Pritchard in Miss Texas over uh, Tony Falk and CJ. Moondogs over Jeff Jarrett and Robert Fuller to keep tag titles. And a double elimination tournament with the winner getting the title shot at Kamala the ne- next week. Yeah, unified champion Kamala. Jerry Lawler beat Jeff Gaylord. Jerry Lawler beat Mr. Sandman. That's him, the Sandman. Jeff Gaylord over Jerry Lawler. Jeff Gaylord over Sandman and Lawler over Gaylord to win the tournament. So you got four matches of Jeff Gaylord here on this show. <laughs> Delightful. Why not? Then in Louisville, the next night, we have a uh, Sawyer of a Masters and Strap on the Pole. Christopher over the Candyman. Pritchard of Texas over Falk and CJ. Lawler over Sandman. Dirty White over Tony Falk. And Moondogs over Jaron Fuller by disqualification. Now, most seasons the circuit, they're still recognizing Lawler as a champion, but in Memphis, they're recognizing Kamala. You know why that is. It's because of the 
mainly because of TV, but Kamala is not working some of these other towns. So only in Memphis could you do this, where you have one guy who's a champion in some cities and then another guy's a champion in other cities. So this is not the usual tape bicycling thing, though. Yeah, Kamala's not working on all the house shows. Yeah. So did they not acknowledge this at all outside of Memphis? Uh, they did. I think Nashville he, he may was it was acknowledged. Um, some of those that I wouldn't know off the top of my head. That that sounds overly complicated. It's Memphis. That's the way they did shit. I mean, for Memphis, it sounds overly complicated. All right, Brian Christopher, who had turned on his partner, Tony Williams, New Kids, said in his interview that I'm nobody's job boy. Well, let's watch this, shall we? Yes, as we go to the turn on the uh, TV on the 28th, which were their opponents here? Uh, Dirty White Boy is one of them. I forget who the other is, but let's go to the videotape. To take care of business and get himself a victory, like I say. Candyman. Tony, and, uh, yes. Tony comes in. Whoa, well, Candyman up. Candyman, one, two. Oh, Candyman got him. One, two, three. It's over. They got it. Candyman set up. Over here. And a small package there, but Candyman had his shoulders covered. Got the pin cover on new kid Tony and the new kid. Brian and Tony get defeated by yep. Candyman and Dirty White Boy. Well, Candyman and Dirty White Boy, you got to hand it to him. Candyman uh, took advantage of the uh, of the moment. And even though Tony looked like he had things going his way with a small package, it was the Candyman who ends up with the advantage. Well, Look at this. Brian is, yeah. uh, boy, he's, uh, he's upset. He's not the one that even got pinned. Uh, Tony got the pin. They covered Tony. And then Brian, Tony, looks like sitting Tony's... in the middle of the ring and... Looks like Tony's trying to tell him, hey, come on, let's go. It's all right. Yeah, but Brian, Brian is upset. He's just telling Tony, just go on. He's telling Tony to just go on and leave him alone. I didn't hear Tony's exactly what he then. said, but uh, he is not happy at all. Tony is leaving the area. Brian, uh, still the immediate area, Brian is not, not the, the area the way they normally meet. It's but he is mighty disappointed. After well, I, at last week he got a win over the yeah, candy man. He got a win and, uh, last week. This week he's lost. He's headed this way. Maybe a comment or two from Brian Christopher. I know I don't have an interview scheduled, but I got something that's irritating me very bad, and I need to get it off my chest. But last week I came out here and I had a match against Candy Man. Everybody saw what happened. He came out here. Dancing to his music, throwing his candy. He felt real good. But when he crossed in the ring with me, he got beat. And now this week I bring Tony up here. And I think two wins in a row, that's going to be real good. And look what happens. What happened, Dave Brown? What happened? Well, you guys lost. Tony got 10. Yeah, yeah, Tony gets 10. Then the rest of the book is not going to go down as the candy man beat Tony Williams. It's going to go down the record book as... The Candyman and Dirty White Boy beat the new kid. And I'm not a loser. I'm in this sport to win. You get no fame when you lose. You get no glory. You get less money. So right now, I'm asked the favor of Eddie Marlins. I don't want to be any anything to do with any tag teams around here anymore. I'm my own man. I don't want to be partners with Tony Williams anymore. Tony, are you a jabroni? 
What's the deal with you, huh? You still <laughs> you a cowboy? Huh? You a job I'm here boy. to win. Brady Marlin, from now on, single matches for me. I'm going to do it my way. All right, Brian. Well, we, we give you the opportunity to say what you need to say here. He, he split the team. He wants to wrestle as a single. You know, I understand where he's coming from, that, uh, you know, that a, a loss for the tag team goes down as a loss on his record. But, uh, well, we'll see what develops here as the weeks go along because he says he doesn't want to be a part of any tag team matches anymore. Just wrestle as a single. We'll be back with more from the USWA after this. Well, Dave kind of got it right. <laughs> he asked if Tony was a job boy. Brian, it wasn't Brian saying about that. So. Well, he didn't say the word job boy either. He said jabroni. Yeah. So. And it wasn't like an overt, like turn really either like you can tell it's going in that direction but he's not like a heel heel yet no not yet but it's coming and you can tell yeah but not all the way uh, there yet all right let's go to global Jim, GWF announcer Craig Johnson has signed up in January to be the lead announcer for the major indoor lacrosse league on prime network well, technically, well, I was going to say, technically speaking, John Horton was going to be the announcer <laughs> on the Major Indoor Lacrosse League, while Craig yeah. Johnson was still going to be on Globe. That's probably the first time that ever happened, where you have somebody that was working in wrestling that, that was uh, working outside of wrestling using their real name. Yeah, is there any precedent before this? I wouldn't think before it. I mean, we have it afterwards. But this is the first time I think before it. Hmm. So there you go. And he would be doing stuff like that off and on for years, announcing different little leagues and stuff. Yeah, I, I think specifically Major Indoor Lacrosse League, he's stuck with for quite a while, for at least a few years. Yeah, he did some basketball stuff, too, and a few other things. December 27 tapings at the Global Dome was the best crowd to date, 1,400. The best overall car to date as well. Gary Young pinned Billy Joe Travis in a Bayface match. Jerry Lamb won the GWF Lightweight title from Lightning Kid in a 2-3 fall match, which will air on January 14th on ESPN for those of you keeping track of important things like this. It was said to have been one of the two best matches in Dallas in 1991. The other being the night before at Reunion Arena with Liger and Pillman. Then Eddie Gilbert beat Terry, Terry Garvin in two out of three falls keep TV title. Gilbert was searched by fans for the match who found several foreign objects on him. One of the searchers was called Sam Boswell, who was Sam Lowe, Gilbert's manager in Memphis. Gilbert won third fall by throwing fire. They're going to run an angle where referee James Beard, as he did an interview after the match, said he knew that about Gilbert's trick and he was assigning himself to referee all Gilbert's matches from this point forward. Patrick of North America title beating Scott Anthony by DQ in the third fall when Anthony hit the referee. And after the match start, Patriot sprayed blue ink in Patriot's eyes. And finally saw Wobbler winning Black Bart win the Gito Tattoos from John Tatum and Rob Price two out of three falls when Irwin hit Price with his horseshoe. That would be uh, the Wild Bunch, right? That, that version of the Wild Bunch, yes. Yes, which was it yet or was it later that it becomes a trio with Jeff Rates? Uh, 
Um, maybe at this time. It's not, I mean, they're, they're right there at the, the same area, but... I mean, there's a lot of uh, noteworthy stuff going on in this taping here. Yes, we've got effectively the beginning of the end of the Patriots. Yes. Because this angle sets up him losing the title to Dark Patriot and disappearing. Um, you know, we have what's pretty easily the consensus best match in the history of the promotion. Yep, Annie Gilbert, no, Annie Gilbert, and Jerry Lynn Lenny Kid, yes. Yes. And, I mean, Eddie Gilbert, Terry Garvin is a hell of a match, too. Yes, it is. It, you know, different style from the light heavyweight title match, but that is a really, really good match. Um, You know, if someone wanted to say that was the best non-Lightning Kid Jerry Lynn match in the history of the promotion, I think that would be pretty fair. Yeah. So... You've got that, you got the tag title change, you've got uh, Sam Lowe, who within weeks is going to be evil referee Sam Esposito <laughs> as man Sam Boswell. Of course. Um, and of course we've got... When this airs on ESPN, is this Fireball the first instance of Where's Waldo Guy? Probably. It, it So, we haven't talked about this in quite a while. Um, as some of you are aware, the Sportatorium was down the street from a homeless shelter. And uh, especially when they were comping a lot of people, uh, there would be a sizable homeless population in the crowd. And <clears throat> sometimes you could tell. And ESPN had a lot of stuff they did not want on the shows in terms of even just the mildest foreign object shots and stuff. So Fireball obviously is not going to fly. And they started using the same shot of a dancing homeless man dressed similarly to Where's to Waldo from Where's Waldo uh, starting around this time, possibly with this show. Yes. And when I say that, it's like for at least the next six months, if someone uses foreign object on ESPN, they're cutting to that same shot of that guy. Yeah. To make it even better, so I believe this aired on both syndication and ESPN, and I guess this was intended for syndication, but it also aired on ESPN. There was a crawler that ran during the TV title match about parental discretion because of the fireball coming. Yeah, they never show it. Yeah. Very uh, global moment there. Yes. Uh, GWF, everybody. Yeah, anything else that jumps out here? Um, Scott Anthony is also not long for this world anymore. No, global's going through some changes. Yes, and I mean, it's a shame, too, because honestly, one of my favorite global things is... Briefly during this Eddie Gilbert run as Booker, in the early part of it, host cartel, where you have the heel trio of Scott Anthony, Eddie Gilbert, and Lightning Kid. Yeah. Who had really good chemistry together. But it that, I mean, that lasted weeks before it was gone, unfortunately, because a bunch of the people were not going to be there anymore. Yep. But, you know... It, it, uh, Eddie Gilbert's doing some good things as Booker, though. 
Yeah. The TV's more cohesive. He's, you know, doing the two out of three falls matches is something different in the title matches. Like, they're... He's trying to make the most of what he has. Yeah. Alright, um... Matt Wash, of course, for this item. Stephen The Truth, Steve Prezak, made his official debut on Global's Major League Wrestling on December 28th, year-ender. He's by himself, and then Scott Hudson leaves the broadcast job to debate him, basically. I mean, it's basically the reason why he left the broadcast job. In storyline. In storyline, yes. Well, because he was told he could either be an impartial play-by-play announcer, or he could be debating Stephen the Truth in point-counterpoint, was what it was. Yeah. And the actual reason was that because of his work commitments working for uh, the... Has he always worked in the federal court system, or was he working, like, in the state probation system? Whatever. I don't know. His government job, though, was making it so that he couldn't travel to the tapings anymore. So they were just going to do these uh, Atlanta tapings of, you know, studio point-counterpoint segments. Yeah. So there's Steve and the Truth bringing their... I mean, they were doing that in Atlanta for a long time on the the Pedicino block, and now they're bringing it to the uh, national stage. Yes, and... uh, I did see this introduction of Stephen the Truth recently because it is on, uh, you know, and has aired in on the, you know, the free channel on uh, Ultimate Classic Wrestling Network, the year interview show. Barry Horowitz is now doing interviews claiming to sell the historic videotape of his only win for forty nine ninety five. That would be uh, winning moments, the best of Barry Horowitz. <laughs> yes. It was funny watching them do do things with Horowitz here, you know? Yeah. It was good for Barry to, to get this type of little push here. Yes. Pile Driver Promotions debuted on December 28th in Kansas City, drawing 600 fans, 450 paid. As Tommy Sharp went to a draw with Gary Jackson, fair. The judge, Randy Gus from Minneapolis, lost to Chief Lightfoot. Also from Minneapolis, Charlie Norris. Stingray and Mark Patton beat Panther and Lightning Lenny, local St. Louis Indies. The champ, Mike George, managed by Skandar Atbar, pinned Doug Buttons. Sledge and Hammer, Jamie Mandem and J.R. Cars from Minneapolis, who are PWA tag champs, beat Steve Berg and Oren Jones. Karate Kid beat Little Tokyo. Dick Murdoch with double disqualification with Bulldog Bob Brown. Good brawl. John Taven and Rob Price beat DJ Peterson and Steve Ray. And after the match, Steve Ray turned heel on Peterson. Hacksaw Butch Reed beat Bob Orton Jr. And Hacksaw Butch Reed doing double duty beat Kamala by Canada in one minute. Honky Tonk Man no showed. So, yes, we could have had Honky Tonk Man against Kamala. And then Reed won a 23 man battle royal. <coughs> That's- in a gauge. Which was horrible, Dave, Dave said. <laughs> they also announced Lawler versus Reed for the uh, unified title on the uh, Pro Star show on Kansas City on 25th. Oh, excuse me, on 25th. Pro Star, which, I don't know, that's not part of this. I just got hung into it. And Dave didn't do any period. 
on this to break the sentence up. So that's a whole thing that we even need. But yeah, so Lawler and Reed on the 25th of January in Kansas City, which Reed, you know, eventually does win the uni- unified title in 92. So sure. There's that. Honky Tonk Man against Kamala. That would have been something. <laughs> well, he, he did uh, dress up on uh, as a, was he Friday or kimchi at that point? Kimchi. On uh, Saturday night's main event the one time. He did. So they have history, sort of. Yes. LPWA canceled their December 28th taping in Panama City, Florida last minute due to a lack of money. Torberg is now again looking for new investors. Christopher Love has been in Panama City for several weeks, passing out thousands of free tickets. Supposedly they're still playing the favorite pay-per-view show, although no television building up to such a show has been taped. Oh, Bro Prentice in Panama City, uh, handing out free tickets. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Well, he's he's part of the LPWA. He's the manager of the <clears throat> girls, and they do run yeah. the pay per view in February, though. They do. I they do, do. Does there end up being any fresh TV leading into that? I have no idea. Yeah, like, was that pay per view actually promoted anywhere? <laughs> Yeah, in the magazines. I remember seeing the after bands. No, but on like television. Oh, I don't remember. Don't remember. But anyway, Portland, the end of an era. December twenty eighth saw the final television show for Portland wrestling, as Steve Dahl, Demolition Crush, and the Grappler faced off with Buddy Rose and the Bruise Brothers, the Harris Twins. And a great match because Rose did everything in the world impossible for a 375-pound human being to do in the ring. Crush had Rose in a full Nelson when the Harris brothers had Crush with a chair for the DQ sub Crush versus Don Harris. Mike Miller and Brickhouse Brown ended with Miller winning again when Rose hit Brickhouse with a 2 by 4 and the two went Brickhouse with belts until Steve Dahl made the save. Brickhouse it really isn't an over like he should be in Portland because fans make racist comments about him and he's actually had booed. Okay. Also, Ron Harris beat Rambo. Mike Winter beat Amadrill by DQ. And then Jesse Barr beat C.W. Bergstrom. All right. So let's see how this ended, the TV, with Don Koss saying goodbye to the fans of Portland Wrestling. Yes, the last ever Portland Wrestling broadcast on KPTV after however many decades. This is actually the intro of the show, too. Yes, the upload on YouTube from... Uh, why am I blanking on his name all of a sudden? The, the, the guy that I had the Buddy Rose tapes. Yeah. It was Rich, rich something, right? Yeah. Because he, he has his hand in here. Music guy. But it's just the farewell stuff from the show. historic sports arena it's portland professional wrestling brought to you in part by tom peterson superstores of course well that's part of why the tv show is gone is that tom peterson can't afford to pay to be the sponsor anymore right yeah 
Now, let's go to ringside with Don Koss. Oh, like the man says, one more time from the Portland Sports Arena, the house of action. First of all, the results from the Christmas night extravaganza. Listen to this. Christmas night, Crush retained his all-Asian and Northwest heavyweight championship belt. He defeated Buddy Rose in the middle of the ring out there. However, the Bruce brothers interfered. There was a lot of confusion, but Crush retained both of his belts. Also that night, Al Madrill was forced to put on a diaper. He lost to Jesse Barr. However, the mask, Al Madrill's mask did not come off that night. So the mask still remains on the drill's head. Also that night, Steve all and the Grapplers regained their title. They are the tag team champions. They also regained their belt. They have the belts in their possessions now, finally. They defeated the Bruise Brothers. And that night, because the Bruise Brothers were defeated, Don Owen took that leather strap and he whipped the Bruise Brothers on that Christmas night. That was a good present for Don. However, all did not end well because Don Owen did get roughed up again by the Bruce Brothers that night. And I don't know if that's going to result in some suspensions or some fines. I certainly think it should because uh, you cannot do that to a promoter, especially to someone like Mr. Don Owen. We'll have more news on that a little bit later on. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, tonight we've got a... We not only have kids free, but we also have a six-man tag match tonight. On one side, one side we've got it's the weird team that he's not acknowledging Dahl, up front. the grappler, and Crush. On the other side, we've got the Bruise Brothers and Playboy Buddy Rose. All right, we're going to get promos here, but go to the seven-minute mark. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. All right, here we go, yeah. It's weird that there was no acknowledgement at the beginning. Very little effort from uh, Crush on his face paint here. Yes. Come and get him, baby! Whoa, all right. You get your friends, your neighbors, you keep coming down here to the Portland Sports Arena every Saturday night. There's yeah, to be clear, at this point, initially, they're still running every week. They just don't have the TV deal anymore. Yeah. So many to people to thank over the years. My goodness, the memories just flood to this entire arena. I want to thank the greatest camera crew in the world of pro wrestling today, the people that we've got up here in the crow's nest, the people out in the bus, and going back in the years, uh, Hunt Decker, Larry Neat, everyone at Channel 12, thank you so much, and the wrestling world, Dutch Savage, Stan Stasiak, Tony Bourne, the people who got me started here, and of course, Frank Bonima, the late, great Frank Bonima, and most of all, you fans who have made it possible. Now, don't leave us. You've got to keep supporting us. And again, we thank you for being here in Channel 12. We thank you for the past 24 years and certainly 40 years of, pro of Portland wrestling being on television. This is, just part, this is just part of this era that's coming to an end. Portland pro wrestling keeps on going, baby, <laughs> all over the place. So we're going to see you tomorrow night in Vancouver at Uncle Milk's. We're going to see you in Eugene next Friday. We're going to see you here 
at the Portland Sports Arena next Saturday, right? Bet we will. This is Don Cox. For the last time, thank you very much for joining us from the Portland Sports Arena on Portland on KPTV Channel 12. So we'll see you here in person next Saturday night. Bye-bye. Oh, wait, there's still something going here. Here, crowd Well, there we go. So. It's yeah. A lot lower key than I was expecting. Yeah. It was. And I forget, did they get a smaller station or. Yeah, they went to uh, something else later. I don't think it was public access right away. No. But, yeah, but this is the end of that long run. So, yeah. I mean, this is how wrestling, you know, really was changing here. As uh, the early 90s, where, you know, Memphis and Portland were the last two real ones left standing. Now Memphis is the last one in America left standing proper. So. Oh, and, and double, double C. I'm not. I don't count them. <laughs> I just, I just don't, because it's, it's, it's different. It's a different. I know, I know their territory. I know they're in, but it's just different. WF was not coming after them, so they weren't running shows in Puerto Rico. It's like, I mean, if we're gonna count, then we might as well count CMLL too. I mean, if you're gonna be honest, you know, nobody does, but they should, because they were NWA members too. I mean, at this point, they're not. No, but there's WC. But they weren't really a territory, though. They were members of the NWA, just like WC was. <sighs> I, I what's different? What's what's the difference? Hmm. <laughs> what's the difference? Exactly. I, I guess. They've had the phone number to get the line up since there's no more television. They're trying to build up a mailing list to send info on big shows. or trying to get a new time slot. Sandy Bar's now running weekly shows at Uncle Milt's Pizza in Vancouver, Washington, about 15 minutes from the sports arena every Sunday night. So the boys are guaranteed three nights of work each week with Portland Saturday and Eugene on Friday. They have local cable television in Vancouver and will be taping every Sunday for Monday, 5 p.m. air date. The December 29th show drew a SRO crowd of about 600. Don Costa is the announcement and calls renovated building the Parlor of Action. <laughs> Matt Griffin, when are you going to uh, create your own parlor of action? You need to find something. Grappler received a Bergstrom, Steve Dolman, Dolmaretti, Brickhouse Brown or Mike Miller by DQ, and Miller tried to hang him with a noose over the ropes. Buddy Rose of a crush in non-title match, using four non at seven-title match next week. I put the Madrill pin referee Sandy Barnum in a master's hair match. Before they could cut Sandy's hair, they found the object in Madrill's mask, and Madrill was unmasked, but the Harris boys covered his face so I could see Madrill bald. And the finale saw the Harris brothers beating Art and Jesse Barr. Art has put on about 20 pounds of muscle. Man, being in Mexico gets you access to a lot of the good stuff. <laughs> to uh, the pharmacias. Yes. Okay, I'm looking up Uncle Milt to try to get a feel for how big this place is. <sighs> oh, it looks kind of like a, like a local kind of Chuck E. Cheese kind of. Space. Yeah. I guess would be the best way to put it. 
Or like, uh, I don't know if you could fix 600 people for wrestling in there, though. Outside, I guess. Who knows? Oh, it was outside? I mean, they may have done shows outside. I don't know. I mean, it'd be something new outside in December in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, I think it was inside. Trying to see if there are better pictures of the inside. I mean, it reminds me of this place we had called Dr. Periwinkle's a little bit. Dr. Periwinkle? <laughs> I only went like once or twice. I wish we got to go more. It was fun. What a name, Dr. Periwinkle. Uh, Too bad it wasn't Dr. Botwinkle's. Doc, Dr. Nicholas Warren Periwinkle. <laughs> oh, wait, we have YouTube videos of someone performing, maybe, at Uncle Mil- Okay, yeah, wait, I don't it, you're not going to hear the audio. I have it in the other browser. I'm trying to well, see Uncle, Mil- Uncle Milty. Oh, wait, these are just photos. Okay, there's someone performing or something on a piano, maybe? I, there's definitely enough space to have a ring and fans. I just don't know if I buy hundreds of people. Oh, it's Uncle Milt's Pipe Organ Pizza Company. Or that's the name of a an artist? That's not... Okay, now I'm very confused. <laughs> I I give up. Alright, well, good enough. Alright, Ian's back with us as we close out with the World Wrestling Federation, and let's go to Matt Watch. Stanford, Connecticut. World Wrestling Federation officials said they're not sure if they'll offer a response to an interview given to the syndicated Inside Edition by former Dojo champion superstar Billy Graham. Until the interview last Tuesday, Dojo spokesman Steve Plenamento told Matt Watch their story, as it sounds now, sounds very limited. It's pretty much Billy Graham calling Hulk Hogan a liar. He could be a publicity stunt for his ever there lawsuit. Plenamento was read a transcript of the Graham interview by Inside Edition producers on December 12, three days after the taping. According to insiders, Graham told the TV tabloid news magazine he injected a number of WF wrestlers, including himself and Hogan, with steroids during his tenure with Titan Sports and attempted to cast a shroud on Hogan's role model image. Graham has retained attorneys for more than a year in an effort to bring legal action against WF and its owner, Vincent Mann Jr., and a steroid manufacturer, but no lawsuit has been filed. After poorly growing antsy over no movement with the suit, Graham has gone against initial wishes his, law- his lawyers had and offered the interview to the King World-owned series and plans a January one-on-one with ESPN's Roy Firestone. If we do respond, said Planamena, we do want them, i.e. to understand the charges that are taking place. Planamena said that he had given producers the phone numbers of physicians administering steroid testing in WF, but as a midweek, the publicist said the doctors had not been contacted. We're still deciding if we're going to respond, said Planamena, saying initial reports of potential legal action against King World is premature. Billy Graham's been saying the same thing for two years now, and I don't know they shed any new light on anything he's been claiming. Besides, we are legitimately creating a successful drug testing program, which is going to be the model for this industry. We want the program to see that. Let them talk to our doctors, which I hope they will. Then let them decide whether they have a story. Plymouth said Titan was yet to be contacted by ABC's 2020, which is also doing an investigation into the wrestling steroid connection. The Inside Edition piece is spent there either in late January or early during a part of the February rating suites for local markets. Well, guess what? It aired two days after our week. <laughs> so there you go. Yes. And, yeah, uh, well, real quick, for more on this whole saga in general with Graham in this era, Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets, because we did do a whole show yes. about uh, Superstar Billy Graham versus the World Wrestling Federation. Um, yes, we did. Go ahead. I was going to go to you. I mean, this this is a famous uh, you know piece here, and this is the, this is the beginning of WF's uh, 
turbulent 1992 in the media here. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember, though. How much does the piece itself end up being about, like, steroids in wrestling contemporaneously? I don't it's think mainly it about that Billy Graham. Yeah, like, this, all this stuff here ends up not really being relevant to at least the finished piece, if I remember right. So, it's mainly just about Billy Graham, yeah. I don't know if that wasn't the original idea. Yeah, but it doesn't really end up mattering. You know, of course, it's Steve Planamenta, so he's very talky. He is very talky. Yes. Yeah. Um, trying to remember. Obviously, it, we're not watching it now, but is this online for, if people want to see no, it? No, I don't think so. Well, what were you going to say? This, this era was wild because Hulk finally started to feel like you'd seen you'd seen what you were going to see from Hulk, you know, in his um, he hadn't grown stale is probably too strong of a word. But, you know, the Undertaker thing was actually kind of cool as a kid because it it looked like Hulk might be vulnerable for the first time. Um, but Hulk was starting to feel like, OK, we've seen that before. And Ultimate Warriors kind of come and gone. And Sid was here and now Sid's not here and what's going on. And so it just kind of felt like we were we we're about to kind of transition into something uh, and th- I think that's why I like WCW so much at the time. But seeing footage of superstar Graham, I remember right before WrestleMania 2, a few months after this, when when the scandals really started to get going, it it just felt like it was another universe. I mean, if Hulk was starting to feel stale, the footage of superstar Billy Graham might as well have been from the 1800s. Um, but now looking back, it's amazing that the WWF, Fortunately or unfortunately, just had so much thrown at them. Um, you know, I wish Tom Cole would have gotten a little, little more justice for the the tragedies he had to endure. Um, but there was just so much that I don't think any of it stuck. And the WWF comes out of it, uh, maybe a little bit lower in public opinion. But it's a, I think it was a symptom of well, okay, there's so much going on. I don't know what's true. I don't know what to believe. And to the point where my parents at first were kind of, well, maybe you shouldn't watch wrestling. And, you know, they were they would watch the nighttime TV magazine shows. And it got to the point where there was just too much. And they just threw their hands up and said, you know what? Keep watching. You know, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we discussed that a lot on those Titan Gate Patreon shows. I mean, I don't know if we ever outright put it this way, but you can pick the argument that they were lucky that the steroid scandal happened when it did. It did lead to the rest of the stuff coming out, but the fact that everyone kind of kept treating them as an intertwined scandal, the drugs and the sexual misconduct just clouded everything and made it so that the more important stuff didn't land. I I believe that, and it's a shame because, to me, I've never taken steroids. I'm an athlete. I've seen folks that have. I've seen the benefits of it, and... It just it's not something I would personally ever do. I don't begrudge anybody that does. To me, it's a personal decision. And, and it's one that ha- the superstar Billy Graham is the poster, you know, poster person for this. Um, you know, it, especially the horse steroids and things he allegedly was taking by his own allegation. Um, but to me, there's a big difference in choosing that no matter what the pressure is from an employer to the stuff that happened with Pat Patterson, with, you know, allegedly that was alleged to Pat Patterson, which turned out for the most part, 
from what I understand, was not true. And then well, what... mixed. The most prominent stuff was not true, but there's other stuff that's more credible. And then obviously with Mel Phillips, you know, Mel Phillips was the the allegations that have multiple eyewitnesses that are have multiple credible accusations, like all all of that. It was held to the same standard. And uh, there's under no universe should should it have been. And uh, they, you know, f- either by luck or by chance or by what have you, unfortunately, those issues got blended together and the sexual abuse allegations did not get maybe the, the legitimacy and their individual moment in the sun, um, you know, that they should have, but it's, it's wild. It's, I just from a, a parent's perspective alone, my parents were very attuned to what was happening and they saw wrestling as safe. They saw wrestling as something like, okay, these, you know, these are, this is kind of sports. It's kind of movies. It's kind of TV, but Hulk's safe. So yeah, you can watch this. And, you know, we had the discussion, don't do this to your friends, don't do this to your neighbor, don't do this to, with your brother. And that was all I needed to hear. And I, I watched it and I enjoyed it. And it took these scandals, took a lot of the innocence away uh, for a lot of parents. And I don't think that's brought up enough when folks talk about why the houses went down, why the TV ratings kind of went down, um, you know, and, and credit to WCW who turned around and had Brian Pillman come on the air and say, yeah, I took steroids. It was a dumb decision. Kids don't do this. And so Arn Anderson, and, and I'm thinking of through the couple that they did in 92, which were amazing and just said, yeah, we used to do this. We decided not to, it hurts our bodies. And, and they were great. Yeah. Um, I did find it on YouTube. It is the one, um, it's the one that it's labeled as Inside Edition WWF Steroids 1991. Um, it it is more Zahorian centric than Chris and I were remembering. It's as David Schultz talking and stuff. It has the clip of Graham watching Hogan on Arsenio. But it, I mean, this segment didn't mean that much. It's more. It was more like 2020, and then like just the fact that there were a bunch coming that right. really kind of set the stage. And, you know, yeah. what was it, the week after? Was it the week after that had the Graham interview in The Observer? Yes, that's the week after. Which we cover on that Patreon show. Yeah. Well, there's another lawsuit in the wings. Just Ventura's filed a lawsuit against Mr. Man. Ventura sues regarding using Ventura's announcement work on recent mini pay-per-view shows, airing old matches of Hogan, for instance, or WrestleMania matches where Ventura did announcing, and Coliseum videotape releases. Ventura is claiming that Titan never had the right to use his commentary except on agreed-upon pay-per-view events, just the event, or specifically on Superstar Wrestling's television show. Ventura told Torch Weekly a few weeks ago that McMahon only paid him for the initial airing of his voice when the TV and pay-per-views were first broadcast, but believes further use of his voice should result in reimbursement for him, just as is done in Hollywood. If McMahon wants to call himself entertainment, he has to play by entertainment's rules, said Ventura. Ian, your thoughts on on this situation here? I mean, uh, as an announcer, you know, let's say that you, you know, were doing some work with somebody and they decided to repackage that later on for use, but they don't give you any residuals off of that. I mean, how do you feel about this? Yeah, I'm I'm conflicted. Um, You know, I've read my I've read my contract inside and out. And I have, a, I have a friend that has helped me with that. And so I understand the parameters of, of the expectation, right? But the difference to me 
is at the time the contracts didn't delineate the expectation. So that's a big thing. And then number two, those Coliseum videos were doing gangbusters. And mm-hmm. even those 999 pay-per-views they would do in 90, in March and April 91, the hot tickets, those did gangbusters. And those all had Jesse Ventura up and down, up and down everything. Um, to me, the economics of where I'm at makes sense, right? I don't expect... I don't expect matches that I called in 2017 um, to be sold at the clip Coliseum videos were sold at. Well, and there's no more home video yeah. market, period. Really, for wrestling. right, right, and even you know, even for Honor Club, um, again, I I know what my contract says, and you know, I know I know the subscription services. It, that that norm has changed as well. To your point, Bix, the subscription services have have flipped everything for music and television. And so on. I think he was absolutely right to to sue for what he sued for, knowing that his contract did was not clear about how he was to be compensated, and also knowing that. And he made a very successful argument, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, that of the broadcast, he, you know, if it was three hours, he was on three hours of it, and if there was nothing in his contract to, to dictate otherwise, then he should be compensated every time the videotape was sold. Now it got weird because there was that Sega game that he also, that he signed his likeness for while under contract with well, WWF. That was, that was why he left was that Vince got right. angry at him for making that deal for that game that never came out. Right. Uh, and then, and then this, the suit comes a year later or so. And, but to me, I mean, understanding his situation, it's a case by case basis. I'm very comfortable and, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable with what my contract says. And I understand, I understand the life that is beyond calling it live. Like there is a, there's a defined path for how long my voice will live. This is getting very, this is getting very existential. It calls Jean Paul Sartre. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I under, you know, I understand the parameters of the contract I signed the digital media marketplace has been defined as, as far as we could tell the home video market was undefined when Jesse started it. Well, Jesse came back in 84. Uh, they didn't, you know, and he had no idea when he became a commentator almost full time in 85, 86, that it would look like it did now. And so between that and him having legitimate Hollywood credentials, it was a no, it was a no brainer for Jesse to challenge that. Right. Well, there, so there were a few aspects to it. The first was that, through if I, I I think it was through eighty seven, it, it kind of came out in the lawsuit. They realized he didn't actually have a contract as an announcer initially. The only contract he had was his wrestling contract. So there was a lot of back and forth about whether or not the wrestling contract even covered him as an announcer. And I think they ended up ruling it did not. So first there was that, and then from eighty seven through ninety. It was the deals that got negotiated by Barry Bloom, and what ended up hurting WWF there was that in negotiations, they had led Bloom and Ventura to believe that they were not paying royalties on videotapes unless it was someone who was, like, the featured performer on, like, a best-of tape. So Hulk Hogan would for Hulkamania, whatever, that kind of thing. 
it turned out that was not the case. That came out in Discovery. And that was one of the big reasons Jesse got the big jury award. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I just totally understand where he's coming from. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go to a couple clips here. Superstars, the Legion of Doom and the Rockers have a match on Superstars. Two Bayface tag teams. And there's been some problems within the, the ranks of the Rockers. So let's go to the clip. I am trying to find my win. Oh, I see what I did. I had the wrong tab open. I was trying to find it in the screen sharing. I have to try that again. Give me one second. There we go. Tag Team Championship Matchup. Yeah, I was gonna say this didn't have a timestamp. I wasn't sure where you wanted. Uh... I just wanted the interest of the rockers, and then we'll fast forward. Holy shit! Uh, Animal is massive here. Yes, he is very massive. All right, so uh... I, this is the most like of like of this I... era. This is the biggest I remember him ever looking. Jeez. Oh, let's go here. I know. Sean's in the ring. to be a little more well, famous. They don't care, you know? man. Yeah. They do care about the tag team. The right, the right. They don't want it. All right. Let's get yeah, right, here. here yeah. what, okay, so where it's the, the four-way after the hot tag to Marty. Sean had to support in there. They did the so it was Janetti tried to body press onto Animal. Animal caught him in slam position. Michaels went to do the drop pick your partner in the back so he falls on top thing. But Animal started turning and he ended up 
kicking animal in a way that made animal fall on top of Marty. Correct. But it didn't look overly contrived. It's no. At no. all. Like, it's something that on paper sounds a little questionable in terms of whether they could execute, but they absolutely did. Yes. Making a save is a You know, hearing uh, the very blasé Kurt Hennig there, I gain further appreciation <laughs> for the way that Ian is able to get up on uh, post-produced, uh, dubbed, uh, canned uh, commentary. <laughs> yeah, poor Kurt. He was. He sounded like he was having a long night there. Shocking! Uh, <laughs> it, yeah, it's and it's weird, too, because normally you would just kind of lay low and try and pick up some of the some of the shotgun audio, but you're sitting with the boss. So obviously you probably got some direction there. Uh, and hammering the fact that Sean, you know, is the heel in this. Right. Which they didn't need to hammer yeah. home that much, but still. 
Yeah, so. Anyway. Uh, all right. We have a vignette for an upcoming uh, superstar into World Wrestling Federation. Chris Chavis. With that name. Let's go to the clip. In his name. All right. His entrance into the World Wrestling Federation, full-blooded Indian, his name, Chris Chavez. My ancestors were the, the first, first one, right? Americans. Yeah. For hundreds of years, we lived in peace and harmony among each other. With nature along the banks of the Black River. We are a proud people, a brave people, not afraid to fight and die for what we believe in. Leadership, prosperity, family. These are the beliefs of the Indian nation. And this is a message that I will take to all nations. I can't think of anyone else in the history of that company where they changed the guy's name like mid vignettes. Yes. And they didn't need to. He just said should have said Chris Chavez. I like like then and now, like that you just have them as this guy with a regular name who you're not trying to make sound more quote unquote more Indian. You know, like it worked. And also that he's more low key and Less cartoony here, and they kind of keep that up in the vignettes a little bit, even when he's Tatanka. But by the time he debuts, and they add the red streak, and it, it's not what it started as. No, no, he should have stayed as Chris Chavis. Yes, and they, but they're going to cartoon it up because that's what they do. You know, and at the time it was fun because it was like, oh, hey, it's Chris Chavis from PWI. Because <laughs> he's been right. getting a lot of magazine coverage, wrestling. yeah, yeah. And as, right. as, the, as the story goes, Buddy Rogers found him at a blockbuster video. Hope you get into <laughs> pro wrestling. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, blockbuster did a lot of great things for people. I got a copy of the current depth chart. So if you're interested, here's how the office ranks the guys: Babyface, Hulk, Macho, Sid, Piper, Brett, Bossman, Virgil, Janetti. Tornado, Bulldog, Matador, Valentine, Chris Chavis, and Conan Chris Walker. Your heels in order. Flair, Undertaker, Jake, DiBiase, IRS, The Mountie, Shawn Michaels, Repo Man, Berserker, Skinner, Warlord, Kato, and Hercules. Your tag teams, Faces, LOD, Slaughter and Duggan, New Foundation, and the Bushwhackers. Your heel tag teams. Natural Disasters, Nasty Boys, and the Beverly Brothers. Ian, you ever heard of uh, Ring of Honor or AEW having an internal depth chart rankings of their uh, babyface and heels like this here? That's pretty bold. Um, I, I say that for a number of reasons because a lot of times, and, and you've seen this from some of the best promoters or, or what have you, you know, you have an idea who your your top person is and you want to plan things around them, but uh, some of the best acts in recent years have, have come organically and to, to kind of 
punch yourself into that hole of saying, okay, the, you know, we have a firm one through 15. <laughs> it seems like a mistake to me. Uh, so I've never seen anything like that. I, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure folks have a loose idea of how folks will be positioned in terms of television time, in terms of interviews and, and things like that. Uh, but to have something that, that to me is bold just to go, just to line them up very, uh, very utilitarianly, um, you know, have everybody on the list and, and to have a list be available. That's, that's another thing to just to have other people be able to see it. Um, for a number of reasons that I would, I would never, I would never do that. <laughs> yeah. And by the yes, way, it's tough for people wondering why Michaels is already there. The barbershop segment with the turn was taped on December 3rd at the, uh, this Tuesday in Texas slash challenge. Mm-hmm. Taping. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that was in the can for six weeks, basically. Wow. Yep. Yep. It, I mean, it's All not, right. uh, it's not uh, snuck uh, on Piper's Pit, not airing in syndication for three months or whatever it was in '84, but it's still a bit of a gap. Yeah. All right. Uh, ratings uh, for primetime on Monday night have taken their expected minor upward turn without competition from NFL. On December 30th, they showed the 3.0, and on January 6th, the 2.8. All-American, same two weekends against NFL playoffs, got destroyed doing 2.1 and 1.9. Latter among the lowest ratings in the history of the show. Slick goes back on primetime as a babyface. The Reverend Slick. <laughs> Sid Justice is scheduled to return TV tapings next week in Florida. This was a torn bicep, I think. It's that injury, yes. All right, our shows for Christmas week. Cap Center in Landover on the 26th. We have uh, in front of six two hundred fans. We have Chris Walker over Brooklyn Brawler, Warlord over Hammer, Slaughter over Mustafa and Adnan. Nasty Boys over the Bushwhackers. LOD, I mean Roller Animal, LOD Animal over Earthquake. Virgil over Repo Man. Matador over DiBiase by DQ and Hogan over Flair by DQ. That sounds terrible. Cleveland, Cleveland on the twenty eighth saw Chris Chavez over Kato. Slaughter over Adnan and Mustafa, Undertaker over Duggan, Animal over Typhoon, Macho over Jake by DQ, Warlord over Conan Chris Walker, Virgil over Repo by DQ, and Nasty Boys over the Rockers. MSG on the 29th drew 11,000 fans. As Her- Hercules went pink Grand Valentine, negative three stars. Virgil over Repo Man by DQ, two stars. Skinner over Jim Powers, three-quarter of a star. Nasty Boys over Bushwhackers, two stars. Brett went to a 20-minute draw with DiBiase in 19 minutes, three stars. Slaughter over Mustafa Adnan, dud. Bulldog over Berserker, half a star. Chris Walker over Brooklyn Brawler, dud. And Hogan over Flair by Countout, three and a quarter stars. Albert Hills on the 29th at the Palace, 5,500. Chavez, Chavez over Kato. IRS over Bossman. Mountie over Carey. Animal over Typhoon. Undertaker over Duggan. Beverly is over the Rockers and Jake. Losing to Macho. And there's no word on why Hawk missed the dates and why Animal were single. And uh, we're actually recording this as the uh, as the Christmas week MSG show in 2023 is ongoing. That's right, yeah. Yep, 16,000 fans basically in MSG right now, so... Yeah. There you these, go. Uh, these shows do not look good for the most part, <laughs> although um, I'm sure... Hogan and Flair... Look at the numbers Hogan and Flair's drawing, Ian. I mean, they're not... N- well, these are the rematches, mostly, right? Yeah, these are, these are the rematches. Yeah, it's it's interesting because they didn't... They never had them paired on television. I mean, nope. it, 
it was always Flair Piper, and even even to small degrees, hints of you know the offshoots in that Survivor Series match, you know, hints of maybe Bulldog or hints of maybe Brett, but it was never never insinuated that it was going to be Flair versus Hogan. So I don't know what they expected when they ran this cold. And, you know, because WWF, to to the earlier point, WWF usually was in tune with what, what was on TV, especially compared to what was, you know, compared to what was on WCW, who did not do that as well. No. Well, they turned him into a guy with a fake belt, too, in a way, which when they really were initially shooting the stuff that set up these matches even if they didn't really keep it going on TV, by the time the matches were on the road, they had taken a lot of steam off of them. Right. Yeah. All right. Um, Elizabeth isn't going on the road for the Macho Jake matches advertised after all. No word as to why. Oh, and then the use of trivia department, in case anyone ever needs to know, Randy Poffo and Elizabeth Hewlett were married on December 30th, 1984 in Frankfurt, Kentucky. So there's that. And we go to uh, Matt Watch here. The story of Titans tell a number of local stations that this will be the final of the year that Turner throws in the towel on WCW. A few station managers who have less than marginal success with WCW in the ratings have bought the story. <laughs> this is some interesting dirty oh, yeah. pool here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's be around much longer. <laughs> Jeez, reminds me of the weird stuff he used to hear when AEW first started. Like, it, it's... It's amazing. You never think, you never think it's it's well now. Yeah, (laughs) stuff. I mean, and and you hear, you know, not just AEW, but about WWE, and it's just you hear these things, and you're seeing, and you're living a different reality. It's it's quite amazing. (laughs) What you know, what you don't know, you know. Yeah, and then you know, like in one of the ninety five, ninety six, where. Vince sends the letter to Ted personally, telling him that he should shut down WCW because it's besmirching his good name. (laughs) (laughs) And then buys the USA Today space. Isn't that what he did? It was a New York Attention shareholders. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, we have a little thought on the state of wrestling at this time as we go into New Year 1992. This has been a depressing year for wrestling with stories of various corporate weasels overshadowing the wrestling business. It probably is just one of the first in a long line of poor years for the wrestling business that will leave the pro wrestling hitting rock bottom before a new regime of promoters begins to form and brings it back. The script now seems to have already been written. It'll become mainly a television product. Then, like all television products, it'll be canceled due to overfamiliarity and overexposure. Of course, this story is nothing new. The plot was revealed to us years ago. It's just depressing watching it happen. Signed, Steve Yoey, Alhambra, California. Those things happen, just not in that order. There, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that happens here, and some stuff that doesn't, but yes. Yeah. So, uh, wrestling historian Yoey uh, predicting some of the future here in uh, the wrestling business. Yeah, no one so. ever said he was dumb about wrestling, just that he can't spell worth a shit. <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot of people that can't spell good, so... There you go. But one person that can spell good is Ian Riccoboni. And Ian, we uh, definitely appreciate you being back on the show with us. So uh, go ahead and plug away, my man, and uh, all the various projects that you're involved with. 
Yeah. Oh, thank you for having me. I had a lot of fun. Um, the big one, obviously, is Ring of Honor. That's 7 p.m. every Thursday night on Honor Club. Watch ROH.com. Um, as you may have seen, Final Battle was awesome. We had some amazing matches. Athena's yes. really the, the centerpiece of, of the company. Uh, Billy, 19-year-old Billy Starks is right there with her. And you never know who's going to show up. We had John Moxley for the first time in a Ring of Honor ring televised. So that was amazing. Um, and Which, Oh, by I the way, did anyone ever figure out who Moxley's opponent in his previous ROH match was? No. His cage uh, match has it as question marks. Yeah, we're trying to. I, I think I have a lead on some photos, so I'm going to try and see if I can oh. show that. Yeah, so I'll see. Um but I happen to know the person that took the photos. So we'll see if, if they're around. And I, I had them all on DVD because I was the one that found them hidden behind a <laughs> hidden behind a uh, closet or in a closet at the old dojo. Uh, so we'll see. Fingers crossed. Uh, but, yeah, that's just we every week. It's been a it's been a great show. And we're looking forward to uh, even bigger 2024. Um, I'm evolved, of course, I, for the second time I was appointed to the local school board. And it's kind yes. of a weird, yeah, it's kind of a weird quirk because I won a vacant seat in July. Uh, and because the person did not pull themselves off the ballot in time, they won again. They won. Uh, and then they resigned and I won their seat a second time. And I did that at a live dynamite. So that was always fun. Uh, but uh, this all this to say is support your local schools. Um, a lot of folks uh, are very generous around Christmas time, but throughout the year, uh, your local public schools need your your time attention and love more than ever and there are so many different ways to get involved uh, whether you are into sports music band um, there are groups and organizations within your local schools that will um, gladly and be thankful for your time money money energy even if it's just coming out to support the local band concert uh, going to the the jv basketball game um, you know just liking and sharing facebook posts for your local school districts that's all super important and so that's that's really all I have to say. Go Falcons. Uh, Salisbury Falcons. Um, I said go Atlanta Falcons. <laughs> well, we, we, we stole their logo. We stole their logo in 1969. So uh, we've had the same logo as the Atlanta Falcons ever since. There you <laughs> so, go. But, yeah, just, and I hope everybody has a great, great, happy, healthy new year. And I think, I think ROH is going to be fun this year. I'd keep your eyes out and ears open. And uh, if, if the big events were on Honor Club – uh, like Final Battle was, I think we're going to have a lot more folks tuning in on Honor Club. So my fingers are crossed for that, just as I think everybody else's are. All right. Sounds awesome. Awesome. Um, so, yeah. So, anyway, next week on Between the Sheets, Bix, get ready. <laughs> Uh-oh. We're back to the 2000s. Uh-oh. 2001. We go back to 2001, where... Uh, it's going to be quite the show. In WWF, we'll have uh, two Monday Night Raws to talk about. Not including a Chris. Including a SmackDown. Including <laughs> a SmackDown. In fact, you'd be surprised that the section's not that big. But the, what really makes it big, though, Vince McMahon talks to Playboy Magazine. Okay, real quick, though. So, Wait, I'm looking at the notes. You have it listed as January 3rd to 9th. That's a regular week. How do we have two Raws? It's supposed to be January 1st oh. because we December 31st, mm-hmm. 2001. So it needed to be January the 1st. That's how it get, got to be two Raws. Hey, Nitro was a year in review. So at least you, at least you, uh, at least you got saved there. But yeah, Vincent Mantos to Playboy. 
Kevin this is Cook the week Willow it uh, hit subscribers, I guess. January 7th was the uh, the date, yes. So we'll have that. We have some a little indie stuff to talk about, not much. We have the big uh, Dia de Reyes shows in Puerto Rico. Uh, WC and IWA running big shows. We have uh, a big match involving some legends in Tijuana. We got the first year shows in, the first year shows in CMLL. We got an interesting look at the Hart family and the Canadian Wire Services. Japan, it's Golden Week, so all the promotions are running. We had the debut of Deep Bix during our week. Ooh. We got um, all the indie scum promotions running. And of course, like I said, New Year, All Japan with their Battle Royal. We'll have that. And Wrestling World 2001 at Tokyo Dome featuring Kensuke Sasaki and Toshiko Kawada and uh, Riki Toshio and Yashimoto. So some big matches on this show. So we'll have news on that. And um, we got uh, WCW, all the insanity going on there about what's going to happen with the promotion as far as uh, their status of being sold. We have Thunder. We got Nitro to talk about all kinds of crap. And the last dance of ECW, basically, as they run their final pay-per-view, Guilty as Charged 2001. And we'll have news on the status of ECW and whether or not they're getting TV. And some of the stuff will be familiar to people from the Patreon, but we got to put it in here. So, yes. Uh, uh, interesting show next week on um, Between the Sheets. No guest. So me and Bits can get this knocked out. All right. Ian, we definitely appreciate you being back on with us. And, uh, yeah, whenever our schedules can work out, we'd love to have you back on in the future. Sounds good. Hopefully another episode with PN News. I'll be back guaranteed. <laughs> Bix, thank you as always. You're the rock of the show. And this is Chris. And so long from the Peach State of Georgia.